Welcome everyone to the comic multiverse where the worlds of nerd meet. It's getting close to the holiday season, Matt. Are you feeling the crunch yet? I know I'm feeling the crunch. I am, I am, yeah. It's, what, two weeks till Christmas? Something like that. I don't even like to think about it. (laughs) (laughs) I I shouldn't complain too hard. I've actually gotten some good shopping done. I've got uh, the stockings uh, taken care of for my parents. I will actually be... uh, taking point on christmas dinner this year though i think so that'll be interesting oh nice got, got anything special yeah. planned now i'm gonna do the regular old uh, you know turkey roast potatoes corn that sort of thing i did make a banana pudding last year that was a pretty big hit so i think i'm gonna be making that again this year too nice nice i don't yeah. know what i've got That's planned it. for christmas <laughs> yeah i haven't thought i'm, that far I'm ahead. sure <laughs> No, I'm sure we'll figure it out. But uh, yes, as I said on Twitter, it's a good thing everyone is here early because this show and indeed next week's show is going to go a little bit differently. We're going to run a little shorter. Basically, we're going to do the first half of the show where we shoot the shit, talk about news and everything. But the second half of the show, both this week and next week, is going to be given over to some very special interviews, of course. Uh, This week on this episode, you're going to be watching right now on Wednesday when it's uploaded on YouTube. We got friend of the channel, a good guy, great creator. Creator Jim Zub has come to talk to us, and uh, the following week, uh, we're going to be having uh, Matthew Rosenberg come and talk to us, too. So I'm trading out one Matt for another, basically. <laughs> yeah, some some good fucking creators there, I'll tell you what. Yeah, that's the one good thing about the holiday season. Everyone's kind of winding down, everyone's at home, and everyone is more open to interviews. This also means Matt and I don't have to work so hard, and the final week, the week leading up to Christmas, Matt and I are going to be doing our commentary track for Shazam, which is both superhero and a Christmas movie, so that's what you'll be getting on the actual Christmas that is Wednesday, so get ready for that, everyone. Hell yeah. Yeah. I, I have to say that out loud, because I'm trying to work it out in my brain as well. <laughs> <laughs> You think I'm just trying to keep you all nice and up to date and everything, but no, I'm just trying to figure out how the hell I'm going to make everything work. <laughs> it all it all it all pans out in the end. <laughs> it does. You're not wrong. It does. It's just stressful in the moment. But uh, yeah. I guess with that out of the way, what uh, what have you been up to, Matt? How was your week? Uh, pretty good. I just half hour before the show got finished done watching crisis of infinite earths part one. Ooh, ooh, you, you lucky duck. Yeah. You, you may or may not have spoiled it for me on Twitter. I can never <laughs> tell when you write stuff on Twitter. I'm like, well, either Matt's being a hundred percent seriously, or he's just trying to fuck with me in particular. Could go either way. <laughs> uh, thank you, Mitchellus for your subscription. Hey, um, again. Yeah. Yeah. Crisis infinite. Earths. Holy shit. Like that first, like so much happened in that first hour and you're like oh we've got four more hours of this that's really good to hear i actually just caught up on flash this week i had a chance to uh buckle down and watch uh those two episodes which i thought were actually pretty solid two-parter and a good lead-in for this yeah yeah um oh my god like like this this uh like what they had in this first episode was so good and again like i said on twitter like like we saw like all those stuff like with that Supergirl episode and like most of the Arrow and Flash episodes have been pretty lackluster on their VFX and I'm like oh I know why now yeah because like this this first episode is just like a VS, VFX extravaganza it so looks so damn good well that's good they put their money in the right place and you're not wrong about that hey blood work our villain for this season is he <laughs> gonna be a big red blood monster like in the comics no we're just gonna take the guy from heroes and co- cover him with a bunch of goo yeah black goo 
Yeah, he's basically poor man's Venom, and and Venom in the movies was a very poor man's Venom, <laughs> so he's a third-generation poor man's Venom. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm glad that's good. I'll probably have to check that out. Uh, check that out later tonight. A lot of good TV shows came out today. Uh, Steven Universe Future dropped today, too, so I was watching that. Oh, nice, nice. And by watching, I mean I got one in before I had to go do other shit, but still, that's <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm a, here's another thing I didn't know. I've been so stressed and so far behind and everything. Ray Donovan came back for new episodes last yeah. month, and I didn't even know. I, I, I like, I was like, like just on Twitter, and then someone was talking about like episode three, and I'm like, wait, what? It, it's back. <laughs> so I like, I caught up like a couple of days ago. Actually, it's pretty fucking good. That's. I wonder, is this the final season? Because they did not do shit to advertise this Feel, show. It feels like the final season. Yeah, I didn't even know it was coming back. I never saw a trailer or poster or anything. I follow the cast on Twitter. Come on, uh, Liev Shriver, <laughs> you're dropping the ball on this one. Tell me when Ray Donovan's back. You only produce and everything. Uh, Sober Hippie in the chat saying, someone tell Joel to stream video games again. I want to, actually. I was going to try and get one in today, but I actually do want to have a couple Christmas streams to uh, raise a little money for a Ontario literacy program. I said I would, and I want to try and put a little time for that. Yeah, I came up with the little, uh, what is it, overlays and everything. Also, uh, because it's Christmas and because Christmas has been around for a long time, there is a lot of very shitty public domain Santa movies that I would feel comfortable streaming. Yes, Santa versus the Martians. But that's the one. That, that's apparently like awful, fucking awful oh, film. Oh, it is. I scrubbed through it. Oh, vaguely racist too. So, you know, we'll have a fun time with that. <laughs> It's that special kind of racism where it's like, oh, they were trying to be all-inclusive and be like, oh, look, we have children from all over the world in their native dress doing their native dances. Oh, no. Oh, no, I see what you were trying to do, movie. You tried so hard to not do the thing. You did the thing. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so that's what I had going on this week. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely have to catch up on Crisis for sure. Yeah, definitely. Oh, the f first three episodes of this week, and then we got to wait a month. <laughs> yeah, which is so fucking weird that they did that. Well, I think well they they did it because of the Christmas break, as as well as I they mm. probably were going to end that episode three in a cliffhanger, and as well as, as uh the showrunner said it it made them it gave them time to actually film cameos they haven't filmed yet. That's pretty sweet, you know, and if that's the case, then I'm willing to accept that. And I, I, again, I, I've seen a few without contacts of cameos that we got in just the first episode, so. Yeah, so we'll see about that. Chat saying, oh, I should play Pokemon on my stream. I would, but I'm not paying the money for online, as I discussed last week, nor do I have an Elgato yet, although how, it is on my Christmas wish list. I was going to say, like, how does streaming from the Switch work? Because it doesn't have any, like, streaming applications on it. Like, do you need to, like... You like, need an jury, Elgato. Ju yeah, jury rig it with an Elgato. God damn it. God damn it, yes, Nintendo. You, <laughs> you need an Elgato. Yeah, that's that's Nintendo for you. Two steps forward, three steps back. <laughs> also, no, you can't have wireless headphones. You need wireless yeah. headphones, you heathen. Well, you can have wireless headphones if those wireless headphones have a USB adapter, which you can plug oh. into the base, which is what oh. I did. <laughs> Oh, I might have to try that one then. I might have to add that to the old Amazon wish list as well because <laughs> it feels weird walking around with this shit. Yeah, yeah. 
and I and, and this is like uh, like really uh, like taking risks because sometimes I'll forget these are in and I'll stand up and be like, oh no, I'm still connected. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I have not done in a very very long time. But uh, yes, everyone, we actually do have some news this week, and a lot of it actually. Yeah. Which is surprising. I guess the first and biggest topic, the one that took everyone by storm, is the Wonder Woman 84 trailer dropped today. Yeah, and it looks great. It really does, doesn't it? I'm like, wow, way to, way to fucking knock this one out of the park, guys. Jesus Christ, way to give me exactly what I wanted out of a Wonder Woman movie. It looks colorful, it looks frenetic, it's got a great style and energy. I, I thought a lot of people were going to be like, oh, you know, they totally ripped off Thor Ragnarok. Nah, doing their own thing. Yeah. Yes, it's in the 80s, yes, it's pastel, but they're doing their own thing. That's what the Snyder Cut people think. They think they, because, because or before Thor Ragnarok, color was not invented. No, no, So no, when this movie all. had color in it, it obviously ripped off that one. But yeah, no, it looks great. And as, as I said on Twitter, it's amazing like what you can do once you get out from all the edgy bullshit that Zack Snyder put in these films. Shocking, right? How much better Wonder Woman is when she's hopeful and divorced from all the gritty bullshit. And it's so hilarious. We were just talking last week about how like, oh, DC Warner Brothers has no idea what to do with Superman. Well, apparently you know exactly what to do with Wonder <laughs> Woman. Maybe just try and do the same thing, maybe, yeah? No, we, we don't want to make another Superman film. We want to do make a film about the Amazons and the Trench. Yeah. Weird choices, weird flexes, but all right. Got to build a universe somewhere, I guess. <laughs> maybe maybe, in sh uh, maybe we should get a Shazam spinoff about like the people who work at the convenience store that got robbed. It can be like clerks. Can we yeah. get that extended universe? The people who made all the doors in the Rock of Eternity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The carpenters yeah. who worked overtime. Yeah, that's what we need. But this, uh, this, this trailer looked awesome, and like we got not one but two. Like already, like that's a pretty fucking iconic shot right there when she does the thing with the gun and hits the bullet with her gauntlet, and also when she rides literal <laughs> lightning with yeah, a lasso. I'm like, that's fucking dope. Fucking Spider Man's around on the fucking lightning. It's so fucking dope. And then she gets like that cool costume from Kingdom Come. Uh, with the winds and everything, it looks so fucking awesome. Kingdom Come is having a great little moment right it now is. between Crisis and now this. It is. Uh, we're, like, between Crisis and this, we've gotten Wonder Woman, Batman, and Superman from Kingdom Come, basically shocking i'm sure mark hell. wade must i'm sure mark wade must be happy but at the same time he's like oh i don't get any money for that do i <laughs> nah sorry mark but people see it and that's cool uh we got a fair amount of story in this one uh wonder woman and cheetah were friends clearly before they became enemies a nice little new 52 thing that they picked up on which i like yeah that's really cool i, I i'm intrigued to see what they do with uh barbara ann here but the the one thing i don't like is that like in the poster and in in promotional art she had, she's like normal just normal barbara but she's wearing like cheetah like leopard skin clothes i'm like please don't Print, do that yeah. please don't like please don't make that be her cheetah costume or if you do make that part of the joke where it's just like oh she just puts ears on it's like yeah. i'm the cheetah and i'm like oh so you're just the super friends cheetah <laughs> now where you're where you're kind of supposed to suck and that's the joke I would be fine with that, but you're right. Yeah, I hope she, like, gets a sort of transformation. It kind of looks like they're going that way, because Maxwell Lord, who for all intents and purposes seems to be the true villain of the movie, is messing with forces that he can't quite comprehend. Yeah, played by the Mandalorian, Pedro Pascal. 
shocking looks goddamn unrecognizable. Well, I know he wears a helmet, but still, like, <laughs> style and attitude-wise, he looks unrecognizable. <laughs> yeah, he, he looks really cool. I'm intrigued to see, like, what kind of folly he, he he's going to be for Wonder Woman, because, like, obviously the first mm. movie, she, she had a villain who could go toe-to-toe with her, whereas Maxwell Lord, he's, he's basically like Lex Luthor with psychic powers. Very. So how do you go toe-to-toe with that? I mean, yeah, there's definitely like a you can't hit me because if you do, then you're officially the bad guy. Also, I I, I, I love the almost lack of subtlety where it's like, oh, so this is the 80s. Huh? The greed is good uh, era. Here's Maxwell Lord as a shitty rich guy self-help guru. Oh, that's really bad hair he's got, huh? Huh. I wonder what American politician that would be a reference to. His bad hair and overall shittiness. Ah, I'm sure it's just a coincidence. <laughs> Look, I'm just saying I'm the best lord. I'm the best lord ever. I've got the best psychic powers. You'll see. <laughs> Look, we got we to gotta drain the Themyscira. You know, the Amazons, they're not sending their best people. They've only sent one person. Not their best. <laughs> But uh, also, uh, the whole thing with, uh, what is it, Steve Trevor, too, you know, we joked about this, and we kind of scratched our heads. It's like, well, how the fuck can he be back? And at first, I'm like, well, maybe he's just a vision. Maybe he's just in her head. No, he's definitely punching people. He's definitely here. Well, apparently, and I don't know whether it was leaked or whether it was, like, just part of the information that just came out, but, like, Maxwell Lord can grant wishes, and this is, like, mm. one of, this is, like, Diana's wish, but, like... Steve is there, but he, it's like his soul inhabits the body of someone else. So, like, oh. Diana sees him as Steve, but everyone else sees him as just some random guy. Like, they don't okay. see him as Chris Pine. Oh, so it's very, like, Twilight Zone monkey's paw type wishes. Kinda, like, you yeah. get what you want, but there's a terrible... Uh, terrible little uh blowback to it, which hey that's probably what becomes of the cheetah oh i want to be able to fight wonder woman i want you know power to okay here you go oh i turned you into a cat monster sorry <laughs> yeah that'll be what it is she wants to be like powerful or popular like wonder woman and the only way that it can happen is yeah she becomes uh, a weird cheetah monster which hey that's that's a pretty good way to do it i mean it was it's either that or do the whole like uh incomprehensible uh, God thing, and I yeah. always hate when that guy comes up. Yeah, that that weird they did at the start of the rebirth, weird like yeah yeah like, like plant god or whatever it was. Yeah, who like I'm like this dude really seems like he should be a swamp thing villain more than yeah. anything, and also plant god, but cheetah guardians, and they have to be virgins, <laughs> and I'm like this is this is really weird, you know? This could be streamlined. Mm-hmm. Also, as D&G said, so Cheetah's going to be dressed as a Jersey housewife. Uh, yes, and <laughs> yes. leave them Jersey housewives alone. <laughs> That's what uh, we got to see, the real housewives of Gotham, the real housewives of Metropolis. That, that'll I be the, the next fuck show. Out of that that'll shit. be the next movie WB work on. Like, Superman, Man. fuck that shit. We, we got to, like, what about this one person who was in this one scene of Gotham and we'll, we'll do a whole story about them? We need to hear their story, which, man, that sounds like something, that's like a joke the Harley Quinn show would do now, The Real Housewives <laughs> of Gotham. Did I, Did you watch that show yet? I haven't gotten around to it, no. Uh, episode two was really good. Episode one was not a fluke, so this actually seems like a genuinely true funny series that they've got. Well, that's good. Seems weird, too, because we also got the news that it seems like all those uh, Marvel adult shows that they were supposed to do for Hulu, they fired a bunch of the writing staff and showrunners on those. Yeah, the creative differences. 
Oops, which that basically just tells me, well, these aren't happening now. No, no, they're not happening. Because they were greenlit under the last regime, under the old boss, and there is a new boss now. Yeah. Uh, Tevi asking, too, probably the next question I was going to cover, too. It's like, how is this going to connect to the greater DCU? The answer is there is no real DCU anymore. No, there isn't. It's just a, a hodgepodge of them kind of picking and choosing which is is canon and which isn't. Yeah. Get ready for this because this is how the next couple movies are going to be us throwing everything at the wall hoping uh, that something sticks, and if they do, maybe a couple years down the line, they'll try and concoct a reason for, you know, Jason Momoa and Gal Gadot and maybe the new Batman to get together on something. Yeah, to fight Joaquin Phoenix's Joker or something. Oh, oh. <laughs> You're probably right, though, and that's the fucked up part. <laughs> no, I, don't th- I think Joaquin Phoenix has enough creative, like, like he's not morally bankrupt in that in that regards to do that <laughs> he, but, no, no he can fuck just off. <laughs> i'm not doing that he, he can just veto that shit oh man speaking about joker uh i i found this out uh the other week and i well i, I feel like i had heard this before but it makes more sense now that i've actually seen joker that uh what is it uh tom phillips the director there uh, one of his first big gigs before he did the hangover and everything is that he did like a loving documentary about Gigi allen Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, the famous punk rocker who would, like, cut himself on stage and roll around in feces and visited Charles Manson in prison and loved Nazi imagery and everything. Yeah, uh, that explains a lot. The, I had a real aha moment there where I'm like, geez, you know, it seems like Tom Phillips almost really likes the Joker and doesn't understand that you're not supposed to like him and he's a bad guy. Oh, he loves GGL. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now it all makes sense. Phillips just has bad taste in people. Okay. I get it now. That makes total sense. I don't know if that makes the movie more or less interesting now, but now it all, like, the the planets align, and I get it now. (laughs) Before, I didn't get it, but now I totally get it. Uh, Okay, uh, what else do we have going on here in the news? Uh, Oh, hey, so here's a fun piece, too. Uh, They're they're doing another X-Men book. I know that sounds crazy. It does, because I'm so behind on X-Men books at the moment. I know. It's so funny. I was afraid this was going to happen where it's like, okay, guys, you got a bunch of X-Men books people really want to read right now, and you got a really strong line if you got one to two new X-Men books a week. Well, guess what? We got a brand new team coming from Zeb Wells now. We've resurrected, excuse me, we've resurrected Hellions with a brand new lineup. Remember that team? (laughs) Vaguely, that was like some new, new mutant shit. That was like when I dropped out of comics the first time when Hellions got really popular. (laughs) Hellions minus any members of the original Hellions. But then again, that's par for the course. We're just resurrecting old names people remember. Uh, The only reason I might want to check this one out and add something to my ever-growing pile of X-Men books is Havoc looks to be a major focus of it. And I love me some Havoc and talk about a character who needed some hardcore uh, rehabbing. We got Havoc and Mr. Sinister. Mr. Sinister. Mr. Sinister is a Mr. Sinister, uh, which has me excited since we haven't really, like, learned a lot about him in the X-Men books, even though we know he's, he's pretty important. It's true. He's messing around with, uh, what is it, uh, Quanon, uh, Psylocke, in her book. Mm-hmm. But uh, he looks to be more of a background player. Here it seems that he's actually going to be on a team. That's pretty cool. 
Uh, what is it? We also got Nanny and Orphan Maker, who are some really weird offshoot friggin' Claremont creations. Yeah, I can't remember. Like, Nanny, the last time we saw them was in, like, that, uh, oh, what was that one where Logan was coming back? That Return of Wolverine oh, series. Yes. yes, yes. Wow. See, I didn't even remember that. Uh, that is not Sabretooth, everyone. That is Wild Child. That is little mini me Sabretooth. <laughs> It's very easy to make that mistake, but no, that is not actually Sabretooth. That is his mini-me. Do you think, also do you think that'll become the new Sabretooth now that Sabretooth's in the, the mutant gulag? Potentially. That might be an interesting way for them to take where it's like, look, we need a Sabretooth replacement. You, you, you've never done much. <laughs> get get in here, wild child. Uh, it's Zeb Wells. A lot of people are saying good stuff about this run, and he's got some good ideas, but still it's like, <laughs> I'm reading so many X-Men books right yeah, now. Yeah, there's so many. I, I'm behind on, like, by at least an issue, maybe two issues on some of the series, and I, I am planning on doing a day where I catch up on all of them, but yeah, it's just... So they came out so fast as well. At first it was, like, one a week, maybe two. Now it's, like, three a week. <laughs> I know, it's, well, apparently on the 18th, they're releasing, like, all of them on one oh, day. fuck. I know, right? If that right? day couldn't get any busier, either. I know, I know. And, and, and in my head, too, it's like, uh, it's like, I'm liking these books, but it's like my wallet can't handle it, yeah, and also yeah. <laughs> my channel can't handle it, because, like, I can't just become an all-X-Men channel. I'm going to have to make some cuts somewhere. Yeah, I'm going to have to, I think, I, I've kind of decided which ones I want to keep, and which, but the problem is, like, like all of them all of them outside of like fallen angels is are like really good <laughs> yeah it's true it's it's like picking your favorite child it's hard to do yeah now again i i think some are supposed to be shorter like obviously uh hickman's going and doing another giant sized x-men we're getting a wolverine book it's just it's Jesus. all there's a moira mini series there's that uh what is it fantastic four x-men crossover mini series oh god <laughs> There's a lot. You're saturating a lot the market, coming. guys. You can't do that now. <laughs> I remember, what is it, C.B. Sigluski said, you know, I want to bring X-Men back to their roots. I want to make X-Men great again. It's like, you need to choose your words on that one. <clears throat> He's like, I want to bring them back to the heyday of the 90s. And I'm like, you mean when every other Marvel book was an X-Men book? And the <laughs> yes. answer seems to be yes. <clears throat> I mean, I guess time will tell if uh, the comic reading populace will be able to support all of these books, I think, you know, there's got, something's got to give somewhere. Something is going to give. I guarantee it. And again, let's not, let's not fuck over a good thing. Let us not be uh, the people who slit the throat of the goose that lays the golden eggs. <laughs> and X-Men is a golden goose at the moment. It is. Yeah. But, uh, oh, as the chat brought up, too, and I totally didn't add this to the list. I'm glad the chat brought this up. We talked about the Wonder Woman trailer. Uh, there was the Black Widow trailer this week, too. Yeah, that that looked really good as well. Yeah, looks fun, looks different. I'm glad uh, Black Widow finally gets a movie, even though it feels like she should have had one in, like, 2013. But, you know, whatever, better late than never. Yeah, I, I'm I'm happy that, that Red Guardian seems to be a big part of this film. And he's played by yeah, David Harbour, da which is perfect. <laughs> Who stole the whole goddamn trailer as, like, overweight, schlubby Red Guardian, who it looks like they're adapting some of the Jason Aaron stuff because it looks like he's in jail and just getting out, and there's rumor that uh, Ursa Major might be in it, too. Ooh, ooh, that'd be cool. 
Yeah, because he's clearly running from something in the prison, and there's like a monstrous silhouette where I'm like, yo, Ursa Major, he's like a Russian commando who also turns into a bear. Who doesn't want to see that? Oh, I'd love that. We also see uh, Black Widow and her relationship with what is basically her replacement, the blonde Black Widow, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they. Yeah, the, a big thing on the trailer is like the family aspect of it, where they're like mm. a family with Red Guarding and uh, Yelena, and I can't remember who the other woman is, uh, played by Rachel Weisz. Yeah, her. Her, uh, her name escapes me as well. But yeah, that's uh, that's kind of cool where it's like, yeah, you know, Black Widow, she had this whole story you never knew about. So again, yeah. just to further justify why we're going back in time now to see her story. Yeah, and we got Taskmaster, which is really cool. Taskmaster with, his mask could have been better and I would have liked him to wear a, uh, a white cloak of some kind. Yeah, well, he's got the hood, so... Yeah, I keep telling myself where it's like, no, 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 you see, this is a flashback, so this is Taskmaster Mark 1, and when mm. General Ross, who was in the trailer too, undoubtedly recruits him for the fledgling Thunderbolts initiative, <laughs> the next time we see him, he'll hopefully have the proper costume. Hey, maybe, maybe. Twitter totally ruined it for me when they said the movie Taskmaster looks like a guy who's way too into paintball, and I'm like, fuck you, Twitter, that's funny and good, and now I can't not <laughs> he, see it. It looks like Lord Zed. He kind of does, doesn't he? Give him, give him a little headpiece. Yeah, wow, you are right, sir. <laughs> Holy shit. But yeah, Black Widow, I, I like her costume, too. I like she has, like, the white Arctic attack camo where I'm like, ooh, see, this is going to be an action figure, I can just tell. Yeah, she's got a couple of cool costumes in that in that trailer. Some really good ones. She does. Yeah, I gotta, gotta switch it. She's finally got the belt piece from the comics that has been missing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, really, why why, why are you making her own movie if you're not going to give her the cool belt piece that she's been lacking? Yeah. I mean, just throw the whole damn thing out without the belt. But, uh, yeah, so that's some cool stuff. Yeah, I'm glad the chat reminded me because that totally would have just uh, slipped my mind there. Wonder Woman came out, took over the news cycle, and I forgot. <laughs> well, it came out like the day after we did our last show, so... This is true. This always happens. Uh, keeping on the subject of trailers, too, and Crisis, so, you know, we're bringing it all together. Uh, Legends of Tomorrow got its Season 5 trailer as well. Yeah, and it was as bonkers as I thought it was going to be. It has me fucking mm-hmm. excited for that for that show. Man, I know I say this all the time, but to think that that show had such a late-in-life renaissance that it became something new and different and pivoted and it worked and it ended up arguably becoming one of the funniest things in the genre. Yeah, it, it like the turnaround. Like you go back and see that season one and how it's all like they they went hard in on the dark and gritty stuff, and then you just watch season two and it's just like a light was switched on, and they're just like we're just going to do all this wacky shit. It became a different show. It became a better show when it stopped taking itself seriously and said, "No, we're a comedy now. Everything is a farce." Yeah, it, and and this trailer looked to be exactly that. Apparently, the whole show, the whole show, is is like all aftermath of Crisis, and Crisis right. feeds directly into it. That's cool. We got to see Brandon Routh playing a Mister Rogers type character. <laughs> That's pretty funny. That was pretty cool. There was also a scene where where Adam like goes inside someone and like grows. So he, like bursts right, out of nice. And like, holy shit, they're <laughs> actually doing that. <laughs> is 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 Ray still possessed at the end of last season? Did last season end on a cliffhanger, or did I just I, never see the final episode of last season? I, it's been a long time since I saw that last episode. I don't think he was still possessed. 
Was it? Because I remember Satan hopped into it and I'm like, did they resolve that plot or was I, I just not I, paying attention? I do remember that one that one woman that helped, like, Constantine, when, when she went to hell, she got all, like, the queens that have the souls of, like, Hitler, Stalin, and all of that, and, like, took them and, like, freed them. Okay, yes, there might have actually been one more episode that I missed. <laughs> and they fought a dragon at, like, a medieval times sort of place. Okay, yes, I, I lost the last episode. I missed the last episode then. I need to go back and watch this. <laughs> well, I've been waiting all this time being like, man, they really landed that on a weird cliffhanger, huh, for such a comedy. <laughs> they leave it with, with everything being lost and him being possessed. Man, what a dark way to end this comedy show. <laughs> All right, fuck, I, I have more watching to do then. But yeah, him being a Mr. Rogers guy is great. But, you know, his show is in a neighborhood. It's a cul-de-sac. And they sing in a song. That's a street that ends in a circle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's going to be really cool because this is like Ralph's last season or at least last couple of episodes. So it'll be interesting to see like where they send him off to and uh, like what what happens to Ray. Like, obviously, because in the crisis, they're introducing Ryan Joy. I imagine he might like take mm. take his place or they'll just get like another character yeah yeah there's a lot of places they could go with that one for sure or get an old actor to come back and play another character because the cw loves that <laughs> i'd fucking love if they like they like said like hey so like we only said we said like ray palmer and adam are leaving brandon routh is actually staying but he's staying as kingdom come superman oh fuck that would be crazy <laughs> i mean why would they or be get like Ironhead studios to make that suit for just like a couple of episodes of a crossover just saying it's it's too good to waste it would be pretty funny too to have uh what is it <laughs> to have like harrison wells hey i'm on this show now <laughs> yeah a harrison wells everyone gets a wells <laughs> everybody gets one <laughs> And maybe, and maybe they'll bring back, uh, what is it, Kid Flash from wherever he ran off to. But uh, probably not. That's if he just, I don't even think he's in Crisis this this year. Jesus, which, which what a shame. missed opportunity. It's a shame. It's a missed opportunity. I know the guy was having a lot of personal issues and everything that kept him from the show, and that's a shame. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so that show looks hilarious. I love that they're just, you know, going full comedy, full steam ahead more wackiness more weirdness just why the hell not yeah i i really hope though as well they they kind of up the budget like in in mm. post-crisis in terms of like the vfx because like i want to see i want to see goddamn uh what's the citizen steel actually turn to steel and wear his costume yeah. not just like wander around the set as nate haywood <laughs> I mean, at least they have a good reason as to why he doesn't do it, because it's his choice. It's yeah. not like when they had Firestorm on the show, and they keep had they keep having to have the two characters forget that they could do shit. <laughs> Quick, separate them so they can't do the expensive thing. <laughs> Quick, we really gotta do it. Uh, Alright, what else do we got coming down here? Uh, oh, so this isn't so much a news story as a, uh expansion on a story we've talked about before. Uh, you'll remember we all gushed quite a lot when we heard that it was actually Tom Holland who was responsible for saving Spider-Man 3 in the MCU. Apparently he just talked to all the people involved and because he was so damn charming, he saved the day. Though apparently now as we discover there's an extra angle to this story and that is he may have actually been drunk when he called the head of Sony. <laughs> uh, that, I, I want to hear that conversation. <laughs> Same. I think that only makes him more of a hero, honestly. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, this only makes me love him more because really, how how does that conversation go? Like, oh, you know, geez, I gotta, I take a whiskey drink, I take a vodka drink. Oh, you know, I'm not sure about the state of Spider Man. Oh, I love it so much. Hey, 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 Sony. Hey, it's me. It's Tom Holland. It's T Hall. Hey, sup, man? It's just <laughs> gotta, gotta talk to you. It's T Hall, man. Gotta, gotta talk to you about the Spider Man. People, people love the Spider Man, and I love being the Spider Man. Like Tom, Tom, please, this is really uh, Tom. I'm at home, my children. Don't you hang up on me. Don't you? No, no, I didn't mean to yell. I just, I just love you so much. I just love you so much. Head of Sony, whose name escapes me at the moment. What if, what they, if they, what if he was like. Like he he was drinking because they told him he had to appear in like Mobius and like Venom Two, oh, so he's like, oh fuck, it. and he's got drinking and just like angry dialed. <laughs> I ain't gonna bring a do, fucking I movie. Do, I won't do it. You can take your vampires and you can shove it. I have stanzers. I was not gonna do. Oh no, it'd be even better. He doesn't drunk dial the American Sony head. He drunk dials like the Japanese, <laughs> the Japanese heads, one. like the the real people who run sony and they're like we we do not understand is this is this customary where he is from this we do not understand <laughs> and they're just like you know we respect this too the courage it took to truck dial your boss you get whatever you want tom you get the golden ticket <laughs> yeah drunk dialing them at three in the morning hey hey it's tom again just you know just wanna, just want to bring back what we were talking about hit me back okay look you're really getting on my nerves now not returning my calls <laughs> look i could be really charming but i could be a dick too <laughs> man you're absolutely right i want to hear this drunk conversation because he must have been really fucking convincing oh yeah oh yeah like most people drunk dial and don't get what they want, he drunk dialed and got exactly what he wanted. <laughs> I wish I had that power. I know. Again, Tom Holland, real superpower. You just put some liquor into him and apparently he can like save everyone. <laughs> you know what they gotta do? They gotta get him all liquored up, send him to the Middle East and, you know, uh help out Israel and Palestine, get those two people to work yeah, together. He'll cure like world hunger, like or you just need just need give him a bottle of vodka. Give him, give him his Tom juice. Come on here, drink that down and solve the problem by being charming. <laughs> All right, I'll do. It's like the Hulk when they like airdrop him into dangerous situations. They just get Tom Holland, pour booze down his throat, and like parachute him into dangerous places. <laughs> yeah, geez, he's uh, he, he he's running that place now. <laughs> I heard he sang the lyrics to "Baby Come Back" in its entirety. <laughs> Baby, come back. You can't leave me. <laughs> oh, man. He, he, like, takes off his shirt. He's like, Stella. He gets, like, friggin' uh, street he's car name He's out the front with the boombox. Out the front of the oh. Sony He flew to Tokyo, and he's just standing in the streets. <laughs> How could anyone say no to him? How could anyone say no? <laughs> But yes, what the, the the real takeaway from this story is that Tom Holland is a gift to all mankind, and we should be very thankful that he exists. <laughs> <laughs> Drunk, sober, or anything else, he's just he's just he's a good boy. He's a good boy, that Tom Holland. <laughs> good, good, good Spider Man. Get ready for Spider Man three. <laughs> And, uh, hey, speaking of superhero movies, we got some casting news here. Peter Sarsgaard is apparently joining the cast of The Batman, the ever-growing cast of The Batman. It feels like every day they cast someone new. This cast is stacked. 
we're gonna we're gonna turn around tomorrow, Matt, and you and I are gonna be cast in this movie because they're just casting everybody. This 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 cast this cast has to be probably the best cast of like a Batman film. Like looking back at like what they've had, they've had some pretty good people be in the cast, but like this oh, one, yeah. like like everyone on this list is like a list. Yeah, and, and like not just like really good character actors or really good stunt casting. Like yeah, like triple A performers all on their own. Yeah, and Peter Sarsgaard, this is this is his opportunity to make up for uh, Green Lantern. Oh, oh, it's your <laughs> redemption song. Maybe he's Can just playing. The, maybe he's still playing Hector Hammond. Hey, you know what? If friggin' uh, what is it, Doctor Savannah? There, if he can get his redemption, maybe it's time for Sarsgaard to do the same. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm wondering who he's gonna play. I, I, I said on Twitter he's probably gonna. I want him to play Doctor uh, Hugo Strange. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people it. aren't sure because yeah, because unlike everyone else, uh, what is it? Who we've heard so far, we know exactly who they've been cast as. Sarsgaard, we don't. Strange is cool. That would be a fun one because, you know, you cast him, you just have him walking around. He doesn't even have to do much. Other people have said maybe he's Harvey Dent at the beginning of the movie and this is how they're setting up Two-Face. Which would be even funnier because he's married to Maggie Gyllenhaal. Oh. (laughs) And and her character in Batman uh, in Dark Knight dated Harvey Dent. (laughs) Well, then in that case, it's not good casting at all. It's completely lazy casting and they should feel bad about themselves. (laughs) But no, he's a he's a great get, definitely. Some people are saying he could even be Jeremiah Arkham. Yeah, I could see him as Jeremiah Arkham as well. Yeah, I could see that. You set him up, and then you do Serious House on Serious Earth at some point. Ooh, because you need a you need an Arkham there, someone like an actual connection to the Arkham family and the history, and wouldn't that be cool? That, oh, that'd be awesome. That would be. I mean, really, you could get him to play anyone because he's like definitely one of those chameleon actors who can do all sorts of stuff. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, one of those really good character actors. So, you know, more power to him. And, man, that uh, that Batman movie just keeps getting more and more stacked, like you said. I can't wait to, for when they start filming. We get some, like, pictures. I want to see that Batman. Yeah, suit. yeah. We got to see the suit. We got to see the car. We got to see whatever the villain looks like. These are, you know, the, the, the what's that thing, like, the 12 stages of grief? These are the 12 <laughs> stages of a new Batman movie. Yeah. <laughs> You got casting, you got prediction, you got Sarsgaard, you got the costume in the car. Yeah. Goes like that, in that order. Uh, yeah, man, I mean, I, I hope this is good, man. Like, I hope this friggin' blows uh, all the doors off, because it would be really disappointing, all this great <laughs> casting, and have it just be like, it was okay. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a DC film. Because <laughs> after all the shit they've been through on this trying yeah. to make a batman movie which should be the easiest thing in the world yeah well yeah you know what's going on they find like the heart the things that should shouldn't be made into films or shouldn't like get what they get like easy whereas they find stuff like batman and superman somehow so fucking hard <laughs> but oh, we get that trench film and gotta get that trench film there water monsters coming soon <laughs> You'll love it. If you love Aquaman, you'll love Trench Monsters. Will Aquaman be in the Trench movie? No. (laughs) Or maybe. We don't know. (laughs) Anything can happen. No one's done anything like this before. No one's taken a small aspect of a movie and been like, let's make a whole movie about this. (laughs) It's new. It's exciting. It'll make a billion dollars. Yeah, really. We'll see about that. (laughs) 
Will will the trench monster smoke cigarettes and dance in the rain on stairs? I think that's the only way you can get a movie like this to <laughs> yeah, make a billion will there dollars. Be Gary Glitter. <laughs> I I can only hope so. I mean, what what other Gary Glitter songs are there besides Rock and Roll Number One? <laughs> Uh, what else we got going on here? Ooh, some more comic news coming down the pipeline. Uh, Strange Academy is the brand new series coming from Marvel. And honestly, Matt, I swear to God, this is like some shit we've joked about for years on this show. And now they're actually doing it. Basically, what if, what if Doctor Strange opened his own Hogwarts in the Marvel Universe? You'd get this. Yeah. Yeah. And great. I, I, about fucking time something like this happened. Like... Because that's the thing, it's like, okay, yeah, where, like, where do, like, magical users in in the magical, in the in the Marvel Universe, like, train? Like, I know there's, like, obviously, like, small places, but, like, it's not got to cater to all of them. Nah, you just got to figure that shit out on your own. Yeah. Got to grow up around in the magical world till you figure it out. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's one of those ideas where it's like, yeah, why didn't you do this freaking years ago? Why didn't you do this at the height of harry potter why are you only doing it now in like 2019 2020 i feel like you guys are striking while the iron is ice cold it could be great but i just feel like why now (laughs) yeah it's very strange i'm wondering if this has like something to do with maybe like where they're taking doctor strange whereas in like his most recent series Mm. with mark wade he got his hands back and he'll be getting a series where he becomes a surgeon again and maybe this is him like well i'll train up other magicians to maybe take my place eventually interesting he's he's also going to be busy too apparently with uh valkyrie because him and cardiac and a bunch of other marvel universe characters who are also doctors and medical professionals are going to be forming a group as well oh jeez. yeah dr strange really busy i guess they want lots of strange because that new movie is going to be coming out i guess so yeah yeah, I mean, all four. We're looking at the cover right now. Brother Voodoo looks like he's going to be a teacher. You got all sorts of other magical-looking characters there. You got one person who's just a pumpkin. Yeah, I, I hope they lean into the fact that, like, in the Marvel Universe, when you use magic, it's not, like, always good, and, like, magic always has a price. Mm. And, like, because that was a big yes, thing in the Doctor Strange series. Like, everything you do has a price, and it can end very, very fucking horribly. And like yes. kids with magic, like teenagers trying to use it, like that—that's like a recipe for disaster. It it really is, yeah. Because Jason Aaron rewrote all the rules of magic in the Marvel universe, and that is, it's it's fucked up. You gotta you gotta give something to get something. Yeah. <laughs> Someone said, "Is Scarlet Witch there?" Yeah, where is Scarlet Witch? She seems like she should be part of this, but she's kind of not anywhere at the moment. No, we haven't seen her since uh, that last like No Road Home series where she was blind. Yeah, it's been a very long time. Her and Quicksilver, I keep waiting for when they inevitably show back up in Krakoa, even though they're technically not mutants anymore and technically not Magneto's kids anymore. That's totally something that they can rewrite. Yeah, Quicksilver is busy in the not-speed force. Is he still there? Is that where he ran off uh, to and no one bothered to bring him back yet? I think so. I mean, they, they posited that that, that Saladin and Med series, like, posited, like, hey, he's got, like, this not-speed force. Anyone want to use it? And no one's like, eh, eh. Not really. Not really. <laughs> I I keep waiting for Magneto to just get lonely and be like, oh look, I cloned my two children. They're mutants again. Everyone, thank you. Good night. <laughs> yeah, that's it. 
because I mean that's that's how like lazily they undid their mutant to be like, hey, you remember like two retcons ago when you were created by the High Evolutionary? Well, it turns out that was right. So we're actually undoing a retcon and bringing an old retcon back. <laughs> so it would be easy enough to just like retcon the retcon that you unretcon. <laughs> <laughs> There's several layers of it, you see. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, Strange Academy should be cool. I know I'm not reading the Doctor Strange book currently, but, you know, I might check this one out. Well, there is no Doctor Strange book at the moment. Oh, that's right. He's in between books because, like, Wade just finished up, didn't he? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Huh. I wonder, too, if this will fill the void. I know people really liked that, like, Gotham Academy book to kind of fill the whole kids-at-school genre that we don't get much of. Well, Well, that's the thing, like... Like, you're going to have to come over to Marvel if you want the kids' stuff now, because all that shit's, like, so. kind of finished up at DC. Yeah, it's kind of kind of a shame. Is I mean, yeah, we've got the Teen Titans book, but, you know, they're all, like, savage killers and crazy people. Yeah, and we've got the Young Justice book, but it's written by Bendis. And he's just doing whatever the fuck he wants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, someone in the chat said Retcon Inception. That's a good one. I like Ret- that. Retception. Retception, trademark comic multiverse 2019. <laughs> Have to give us a penny every time you use it, Repception. <laughs> uh, our last piece of news here uh, actually involves the Birds of Prey. Uh, specifically the Birds of Prey comic that had a writer, then didn't have a writer, then it was solicited, then they took the solicitation away. And Matt, I feel like we actually like willed this next piece of news into existence <laughs> yep. after... After we complained last week, and I'm like, look, DC, it's clear you don't give a shit about the Birds of Prey. You just want a book to coincide with the movie. If that's all you're going to do, why not get the writer who actually made the book worth a damn in the first place and made people care? Why don't you just get Gail Simone to write it? And as we found out today, Birds of Prey Giant, the special (laughs) issue to coincide, will be written by Gail Simone. Yep, yeah, we we wheeled this into existence. This is this is us putting it out into the into the multiverse, and the multiverse answering with the right yeah. right answer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I don't, it probably I don't know whether that that'd make the book any better because again they're still like doing that whole movie synergy thing with it, mm. where it's like they have it has to have Harley Quinn and it has to be these characters and like well it's not the Birds of Prey anymore. It's it's a new team. It's Harley and her friends, but you know what? At least, at least here it has a chance, though. And like Gail Simone is one of those writers who has like made her money and made her fame and everything. And she's like, "Look, I'll write it, but I'll write it my way." I imagine she'll write it like how Grant Morrison has been writing his books recently. <laughs> Man, hey, I'm not I, reading I'm Black Stars. I'm all for that. Cause yeah, cause I yeah, just I- mentioned Black Stars. <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't reading Black Stars, but I read that panel that made the rounds where it's basically like, and now listen to Grant Morrison roast the modern DC universe for four that, pages. That second issue, that whole issue was that. Really, that whole, just that one giant was, roast. Yeah, and Hal taking full advantage of it to his to his betterment. <laughs> Yeah, where it's like, and, and, and like, no one is safe, too. He rips into Bendis. Yeah. He rips into King. He even rep, uh, rips into Snyder, the golden boy, by saying, look, you've elevated the Justice League too much now. Like, they're too unrelatable. They're too out there now in their whole, you know, fighting the creators of the universe. What the, what the hell is the next guy supposed to do? He, he even rips into himself. Cause like the, he does in the in the whole in the whole book like that the the earth's earth sun is turned orange and and how it's like oh 
why doesn't Superman just fly into the sun and restart it? Yeah, so he even rips into himself, which, man, only Grant Morrison can get away with that, Getting doing a whole issue that's just <laughs> one giant piss take. Yeah, and no one, like, like, get outraged by it either. No, no, because it's Morrison, and again, he he's made his name, he's written his checks. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're lucky he's here writing this now, everyone. He doesn't have to write this. He can live in his castle <laughs> with his S&M model wife. He can do whatever he wants. <laughs> he can take whatever mind-expanding drugs he wants, but instead he's writing Black Stars. Yeah, which is a mind-expanding Ma- expanding drug. <laughs> In its own right. Man, I really hope for Doom Patrol Season 2 they get him in for a cameo. Oh, yes. Yes. Because that show's already so meta and so in line with his work. I really hope they run into Grant Morrison. And I hope he plays himself and they're like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, I'm a comic writer. Oh, what are you writing right now? Ah, you know, something. It's a little out there. It's a little trippy about a team outset. I don't know if people will like it, but, you know, we'll see. (laughs) That's what I want. I think that would be really, really freaking funny. That but, would be uh, cool. Yeah, so uh, uh, Gail Simone's also not only just writing uh, this Birds of Prey thing, but she's also apparently going to be contributing to the big uh, Wonder Woman 750th uh, issue anniversary. Yeah, yeah, it's – that's pretty cool. Uh, it feels kind of cheating, though, because they're doing one, I think, yeah, Flash as well. And I'm like, okay, you're already doing this because they're, like, nowhere near – um uh issue a thousand and you want to get that like yeah thing because i think flash is even getting like when uh detective and action they they put out like a hardcover book which is like a collection of stories and stuff it's like 80 years of the flash or something and they're, they're putting one of them mm. i'm like ah that you kind of did you know that's that's only for issue a thousands i don't know why you're doing it for issue 750 yeah, they are they are one hundred percent manufacturing a milestone. They want to yeah. do like what they did with Action and Detective when they reached one thousand. It also probably helps too that Wonder Woman is having a movie soon, so DC now wants to make it look like they care about Wonder Woman, yeah. even though historically they've given very little shit about Wonder Woman and her milestones. But now they have to pretend to care. Yeah, yeah, it's like the like the comics at the moment. I've fallen off like what's happening in the comics, but like. I suppose it probably doesn't even matter because like I haven't read a book yet that has referenced what's happening in Wonder Woman. <laughs> no, we're right back to that. And it further doesn't matter because uh, they're going to be redoing the whole timeline anyway with 5G and Wonder mm-hmm. Woman's going to become the first hero anyway. So like, yeah, yeah. again, again, that's probably in time think- for the movie. Yeah. I think Steve Orlando is coming back to write more Wonder Woman 2 like he did, then he stopped, and then we had the admittedly pretty short-lived G. Willow Wilson run. I think she only wrote, like, two arcs. Yeah, I don't even know who's writing it at the moment. Neither do I. I, I, I want to say, like, it I can't be anyone, don't. like, who's doing anything important, because, again, I haven't heard of heard anything about that book. <laughs> anything at all. And that's... And that's just poor Wonder Woman in a nutshell. <laughs> uh, the chat had it going, Wonder Woman, you mean Justice League Dark? Yeah, that's <laughs> the true Wonder Woman. But you know what? You're not wrong because, yeah, she, Wonder Woman does shit in that book that actually does affect the rest of the DC universe. So, yeah. <laughs> that's the one book where it actually kind of matters and actually kind of makes sense. Wow, fair, fair enough. Fair enough, chat. <laughs> Well, well said. And again, they could do shit like that with Wonder Woman all the time. They just choose not to. Yep. 
that's that's a crying shame. But uh, yeah, everyone, that's the news for this week. But uh, before we go and before Matt uh, crosses over to the interview I did with Jim Zub, we talked for like over an hour, so don't feel like you're uh, getting cheated any show. I guess before uh, we go, uh, any questions from the chat? We'll do a quick little Q&A there. Q&A. <laughs> Jaden just joining us now. Hello. Uh, <laughs> so Sorry, Jane, but you'll get a big show on Wednesday, we promise. <laughs> I, I feel I should go back and read that G. Willow Wilson book because I loved her Miss Marvel so much just to see what she actually brought to the whole thing. Yeah, I remember like seeing some of the stuff that she did and it seemed pretty cool. But again, I it felt like yeah. like we got two runs in a row where they were trying to like redefine Wonder Woman. And that's the real biggest problem with Wonder Woman. She never has a status quo because her status quo is always changing because DC never seems to have any faith in her. <laughs> oh, uh, the Waterlord. Okay, we weren't actually going to talk about what we read this week, but you're right. It wouldn't be a comic multiverse episode if we didn't talk about Batman. So, all right, <laughs> Batman 84. <laughs> oh, Let's God. fucking do it. Uh, penultimate issue that decides to give us, like, answers, but not give us answers. <laughs> Yes, because 60% of what Tom King writes in this book is just stuff that was already written in Batman Vengeance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh, God, this fucking issue. It was just, like, him... He, apparently, we were meant to get, like, like, oh, how did Thomas Wayne come to this Earth? Ah, reverse Flash shit. I ain't got time to talk yeah. about that shit. You know, fuck you. <laughs> and then he's Re- just Reverse Flash did it just... Yeah, Reverse Flash did it, even though he died. Uh, somehow he he was able to save him from Dr. Manhattan. Uh, For somehow. very arbitrary reasons. It's, yeah. oh, you didn't suffer enough. Dude, his entire universe was being destroyed around him. Isn't that suffering enough? Yeah. Uh, and Reverse Flash never, like, did anything, like, like tease Bruce about it, which Reverse Flash would, like, totally do. You know, he'd, he'd which he loves to do. Bruce and whatnot. Yeah, why it's almost as if King. Yeah, go ahead. I said it's almost as if Tom King pulled this resolution out of his ass or something at the last second, and this wasn't (laughs) how it was supposed to be. Oh no, definitely not. Uh, Yeah, Thomas was on that Earth. He watched his son like be happy, so he decided to like go see Bane and say, "My son's happy, but I want him to be more happy, so I'm going to team up with you." (laughs) <laughs> yeah bane whose whole plan is i want to ruin your marriage you know because i want to give you joy and take it away because that's how i'll fully break you once and for all and thomas wayne being like oh i don't want my son to be batman anymore because he won't be happy if he's batman let's you and me team up even though our motivations are completely in contrast with each other well, not only that before like like he come comes to that conclusion after seeing that his son is indeed happy because you see him like he's just like standing in the crowd while watching like uh bruce and clark going that double date that that really great issue that happened like 40 50 issues ago um yeah which we actually enjoyed holy shit yeah and and like actually like enjoy his life with selena and everything and he's like i want my son to be happy but maybe not that happy (laughs) he has to be happy uh by my my means he has to be happy the way yeah, he has to be happy on my turns because I'm a crazy person and maybe I've always been a crazy person and, because Tom King also retcons uh, Thomas's final message to him before his universe blew up in the button. Where it's like, oh, live your life, be happy, you know, oh, be the father to your son I couldn't be or else. 
Well, not only that, he reckons like a shitload. Like, so, so like the real reason he's doing this is because Thomas Wayne is like a creepy relationship with his world's Selena Kyle. Uh, where it it's wasn't like, supposed to be creepy, no, but King oh, makes it creepy. Oh, it came off as fucking creepy. Because uh, he, he does exactly all the same stuff that Batman on Earth 1 did. But as, but as well, like, oh, this fucking issue. It retcons uh, Flashpoint Alfred being a butler. In Flashpoint, he wasn't a butler. He was a spy called The Outsider who was killed by Oops. Amazons. Uh, he, Oops, I didn't read that far. T- Thomas Wayne kills... Uh, Penguin, because Penguin is a villain, even though in Flashpoint, mm-hmm. Penguin is working with Thomas Wayne at his casino and running his That's casino right. and his business. Uh, what else do they fucking retcon in this? The, that fucking speech. Um, oh, yes, which book. again, <laughs> I, I, which I had always assumed that Tom King didn't write that speech, and now the fact that he retconned it here means he certainly well, didn't write it. See, I got a lot of angry people because, like, I said, like. It was very obvious that Jeff Johns wrote Button because that was all tying in with Doomsday Clock, and it's like very fucking obvious, mm. very fucking. O- and like people are now it is very mad that I said that because Tom King, you know, the genius that he is, writes everything about Batman. <laughs> my my favorite thing is that so Thomas Wayne has been hanging out on this Earth since the end of the Button, stalking his son in full costume, and in not daylight, once like, did just, anyone fu- just standing around yeah. as well. <laughs> And and not once did the world's greatest detective actually detect him. Yeah, this detective that like apparently knew everything about Bane's plan from the very beginning didn't didn't know about about uh about Thomas Wayne. And they never even bothered to like me- like talk about Skeets either. Remember Skeets is like working with Bane. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Ske- the Riddler hacked Skeets because the Riddler was controlled. But Thomas Wayne was not controlled, even though Bane was controlling everyone with the Psycho Pirate, but he just chose to take Thomas Wayne as his, at his word, even though he showed up from another <laughs> universe claiming to be Batman's father, dressed like Batman, but Bane totally just believed him the whole time. He's really yeah. trusting Bane. Oh, yeah, yeah, Bane's very trusting. If Batman had just come to him and said, hey, hey man, let's team up, he would have been like, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll literally team up with anyone, because oh, oh, why yeah, not? No. Also, uh... Bane is still alive. He's only in a coma, even though we saw last issue him get fucking shot in the fucking head. Yeah, sh- <laughs> yeah, shot in the head. That's fine. Yeah, he's still alive. You can you can live the that that actually felt like an editorial note. That felt like no, you can't actually kill yeah. Bane because the next writers might want to use him. Yeah, yeah, that felt like okay. You've killed you've killed Alfred. You can't kill Bane. Yeah, you can kill one but not the other. We promise. Yeah. Also, thank you, cousin Eddie, as I see in the chat yeah for that subscription uh I, I, again I, I said we weren't gonna talk about but okay we talked about a comic we didn't like this what's a comic we did like this week to kind of you know uh what does it balance this out it's funny you should say that i like superman up in the sky issue six which is a tom king book <laughs> yeah I, i'm finally getting ready to read this batman universe ended this week and up in the sky yeah. ended this week and i'm gonna hopefully cover those over new year's but yes tell us Man. about the good tom king book that talk, i want to read talk about like like the, the, this is like one of those things that you post on twitter with like the scores of both books where it's like the duality of man sort of thing because uh. like like fucking batman which is horrendous then you got like this superman book which is just a complete love letter to the character like like you just read it and you're like oh my god this guy gets it this guy how does he understand this character and do so poorly on batman which is just the opposite 
Like, does he think I, like? I think it does co- he think like? Oh, if he's the opposite, that means I have to write opposite from good writing, so I have to do bad writing as well. <laughs> Again, as as we've been saying since day one, I think one of the reasons that this Batman book is not to our taste is that I truly think Tom King does not like Batman or does not respect the character or has mm-hmm. some really complicated feelings about the character. But with Superman, like you're saying. He genuinely seems to like Superman. He does. Oh my god! Like this issue, like because this is the 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 last issue in his six issue run before Robert Venditti takes over. Uh, so he tied up all right. all his loose ends. You see, Superman. It's 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 so good because the Earth is getting invaded by robots that like adapt to like they're like a Mazo robot sort of thing. Uh, and Superman is fighting their leader who also kidnapped this little girl. Uh, that he's been after this whole mm. issue and um the whole issue is just like this robot throwing shit at superman saying like you can't beat this you can't this is unbreakable you can't win no one cares and just a superman going it's like i care i can beat this i mm. can do this and it's just superman just plowing through all this shit and and proving that he is superman and then then like the latter half of the issue is him taking the little girl home and you kind of go back through all the stories that he wrote where he like you see the 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 person he was meant to kill for dark side wasn't actually killed because superman found a cure because he's superman he helped um and he little, always finds a way the little girl is just like asking him like like little girl questions like how do you fly like what's green arrows deal does he just use arrows like well that's there's a great great <laughs> panel there where she asks the age-old question who would win in a fight batman or superman and superman's like oh well i'd hold back of course i'd let batman win because he kind of needs it you know kind of needs that little bit of happiness you know it'd mean a lot to him uh, but but they also posit that with like i'd let him win because like i don't like fighting like i like what we're doing now i like talking and and getting to know people and i like stuff like my family and my dog and all that sort of stuff i'm like there that he gets it he gets it that's that sounds wonderful that sounds like everything i want from a superman book and everything i'm not getting from the main universe one at the moment yeah oh it's it's so damn good and like how does this guy write this and go fucking write you know batman getting like punched in the face and forgetting everything that happened in the last 80 years of his life and shit I think it's that he doesn't like Batman. Now, why uh, what is it? Why Heroes in Crisis doesn't work is a whole other thing. Oh, f- f- let's not get into that. <laughs> yeah, we'll be doing autopsies on that book for a long time, and so will they be doing autopsies on the characters, but dumb tish. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Good night. <laughs> Drops the mic and leaves. Well, there you go, everyone. That was very nice and balanced. You got some news. You got some things we didn't like about Tonking, but some stuff we liked too. And I'm actually very excited and very much looking forward to covering that book over the new year now that it's all collected or yeah. all finished, at least. I can collect it on my own. It's, it's very good. Very good. Same with that Bender's Batman book. Again, it's like that thing where it's like, so they I just hear. need to switch those characters. Those, those writers just need to switch their characters and they'd be fucking perfect best books you'd probably ever read it's shocking that they didn't start bendis on batman it really really is yeah again he called the shots he wanted superman and now we're all suffering he he wanted yeah and to think these walmart books are where you gotta go to get the good ones yeah of all places that's that's so shocking. Oh, well, so there you go, everyone. I will start bringing to a close this portion of the show, but that's not to say the show is ending. If you are watching this 
on uh, YouTube uh, on Wednesday at uh, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time when it goes up. Next up, we're going to have a really cool Jim Zub interview. If you're a patron, uh, you already got to listen to this, but for everyone else, you'll be hearing it for the first time. We talk about his new Conan book that came out, which I got to read and I quite enjoyed. Yeah, it, it was it was really, really fucking good. Serpent War. Man, if you were a fan of pulp characters or you just like the idea of pulp characters in general, you're going to freaking love this one. We talk about our mutual love of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, we talk about Rick and Morty because he's writing the Rick and Morty D&D thing. We talk about Canadian cons and his career and how we've just kind of been, you know, uh, what is it, circling each other for a long time, <laughs> but finally getting to talk. It's really it's really good stuff. He's a wonderfully sweet man. And next week, we get to do it again with uh, Matthew Rosenberg. So uh, thank Thank you all so much for that. And Matt and myself will be back again uh, next week. So until yeah. then, everyone, bye-bye. Bye. And hello, everyone, and welcome to another Comic Multiverse interview segment. It's been way too long since we've done one of these, but I'm happy to say we got a truly kick-ass guest today. Someone who uh, we've kind of been circling each other for a while in the Canadian comic scene, and we've actually had a couple degrees of Kevin Bacon, even more so as we <laughs> discovered before we started. So I'm glad that I can finally have this guest with me today, the man himself, Mr. Jim Zub, everybody. Hello, thanks for having me, Joel. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure, man. Like I said, I've wanted to get you for the longest time here uh, to try and talk about all the stuff. It feels like uh, th there was definitely <clears throat> weeks there in 2019 where you know a Wednesday didn't go by where I didn't talk about one of your comics or one of your projects or one of the many cool things you've been doing this year. It's been it's been kind of crazy, hasn't it? It's been kind of kick ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's one of those weird things where you don't when you're in the middle of it when you're working away on a bunch of different projects you don't always realize how much is coming out or, or how rapidly it's coming out um i i go back at the end of the year and now we're in december so i'm mm -hmm. sort of looking back at the year that that was and i sort of tallied up how many books i'm going to have come out and in uh in 2019 i had 50 five wow. zero <laughs> different wow. single issues come out so it's uh it's pretty bonkers that's nuts. You know, when I do these interviews, I always have like that few f moments of anxiety, like, oh, geez, you now is the guest going to like me? Am I going to say something to embarrass <laughs> myself? But thankfully, uh, I have actually chatted with you numerous times at numerous different cons and events. So that yeah. like, you know, put put that totally at ease. I know uh, one time. Uh, and this still sticks out as one of my favorite con moments when uh, Benny, the comic story, and, you know, a mutual uh, friend and acquaintance of ours tried to introduce us one time. It's like, hey, Joel, and here's Jim Zub. I'm like, yeah, I know him, man. <laughs> we we know each other. Which We're all good. We're all good. It played into that cliche of, like, all Canadians must know each other. I know. That, that was, no. you, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say, I know this doesn't help the stereotype that all Canadians know each other, but we uh, do. <laughs> It's true, it's true, particularly when you also, the Venn diagram then of comics mm. and Canadians, it all kind of rounds up pretty well. Definitely, there there was like a, a good like five cons in a row there, when you were like my con good luck charm, I'm like, oh well Jim Zub is here, so surely this will be a good show then. Awesome, thanks man, I uh, appreciate hearing that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, been a, it's been a wild year, it's been really fun. You, you've done uh, how many cons did you do this year? Because I know you did quite a few. You were wrapping um, up. Most I, I haven't tallied that up. Probably like thirteen or fourteen. Probably it, you know if it was spaced out like one a month, it mm. would be reasonable. But it's always 
crammed into the summer months and then a couple that bleed out on either side so it's uh yeah it gets pretty hairy during the during the spring and summer that's for sure i i I can speak from that too because i started going not just as press but actually going as a guest myself for the first time this year And 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 i really wanted to pick your brain of all the canadian cons there are so many good ones what, right. What, what are your favorites? What are ones that you know if you could say check this one out if you never have before? So it depends on what kind of show you want to do. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, the, there's some shows that are more kind of creator focused or like publishing focused, mm, like and Montreal. then some that are like the whole pop culture spectacle, like Fan Expo. Uh, right, right. And so, like uh, on the the Toronto Comic Arts Festival, TCAF is is just one of the best in the world. It's all about creators. It's all super focused on the books themselves and the act of creating them. And and there's a really amazing international spread of guests. There's a really good uh, you know focal point on Canadian talent as well. So I really love TCAF. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the Calgary Comic Expo. You know I'm biased like. It was started by a friend of mine. Oh, no, uh, I, I have never back. been. I've always wanted to go. Uh, it's an amazing show. It's grown and it's got that pop culture kind of explosive feel. But there's still something very... Um, the hospitality is second to none. Mm. They treat uh, the creators wonderfully. They've got a really great setup. Uh, they, you know, they, they've really learned how to strike that balance between kind of the big celebrity stuff, the toy stuff, the video game mm-hmm. stuff, and the comic book content. And it all kind of, it, it works really, really well. It's one of my favorite shows. Uh, I've been to it every single year. And I lived in Calgary for a couple of years. So it became a way to also kind of come back and, and see some friends and, and hang out a bit. That's that's so awesome. I uh, I did a really fun show uh, this year. It was the first year they ever did it, which, you know, is always a dice roll when you go to right. a con for the first year. Uh, it was called Geektopia in Vancouver, and it was like... Oh, yeah, it was at the, like, the very end of the waterfront in, like, an old casino. Like, if you kept going, you would be in the water, and if you kept going, <laughs> you'd, you'd be in Seattle. And they did a cool thing there that I've never seen any other con do. They had all the guests sit really close together, and it created this really nice atmosphere. It was me, uh, some dude doing Art Prince and uh, Stoosh, who's a famous Canadian cosplayer guy, and we were all just like with arms length of each other. And it's like, nice. oh, and it's like, oh, cool. So we have to talk and we have to get along. <laughs> Where other shows I've been to, they put you on the big long tables, and it's just, right. it's just like, well, I don't want to get into his zone, and he doesn't want to get into my zone. So I guess we're just going to stand here and say nothing. <laughs> you know, the the booth neighbor thing can be really neat. You can make some really good friends, or yeah. kind of. That you don't mean to do the network thing, but it just sort of naturally happens. You're beside someone all weekend, and then other times you get to just hang out with a friend or something like that. It can be kind of nice to, you know, whenever the the show maps finally go up, everyone always sort of scrambles and looks to see who they're beside, mm. to see if uh, they've been put by an artist they work with or you know near uh, other creators that they know. And and you do build up this sort of like con circuit family, oh, like totally. there's just people you see over and over at every show and you watch as their careers move along and grow and change it's uh it's kind of a neat thing to to be a part of especially if you're going to specific shows every year you you know there's a familiarity even with the staff and and stuff like that so oh it's uh it's really nice it really it really really is but uh, yeah those are two great cons i will definitely have to check those out what are what are some things you've learned uh going to cons maybe someone who is more interested to go as a creator than a fan things you have to keep in mind right right 
Because a lesson I learned the hard way is about signage. You need to be on top of your own <laughs> yes. signage because they won't yeah. always handle it for you. Two years in no, a row, I showed it. up. And it's like, yeah, hey, signs. Yeah. I do some pretty, uh, well, early on I did some pretty extensive planning where I would find out the size of table I was going to have mm. and I would sort of pre-plan it out. I would tape off smart, an area on, uh, on my dining room table, you know, kind of the same size and I would figure out, okay, how much stuff can I bring and how am I going to lay it out and, and just stuff like that can be really helpful to figure out ahead of time to know what you reasonably can put together as far as that goes. Um, putting together a checklist of all the stuff you're going to need, whether that's like, you know, the money float if you're going to be selling stuff or, mm. you know, book stands or signage or pricing, all that kind of stuff that in the moment you don't want to have to try and figure out on the show floor. Definitely. Make a little, like a convention bag where it's got your all your stuff, all your Sharpies, all your all the different things you're going to use over and over again, just basically build this into a nice little convention bag, make sure it's in the same spot every time, everything from your, whatever, your ibuprofen and, and yeah. you know, an extra pair of shoelaces, like every little you'll thing need that you'll need, right? And, and you sort of build that into your con bag and uh, make sure you've got it. And then as you learn, you know, you're like, oh, I, I didn't have whatever, you know, um, enough uh, uh, elastic bands or something like okay throw a bag of those in or clips or you know just stuff like that that you forget the first couple times you kind of build up as you become a veteran of the show yeah. you get more and more little things that you throw into that convention bag as you get uh, you know better organized or you realize what kind of signage is going to work for you or you know those kinds of things and then as far as the actual show itself I think what people need to keep in mind is that the majority of the public, particularly at like a, a pop culture show, they don't know necessarily who you are. They don't oh, necessarily yeah. know your work or anything. All they have to go on is that first impression, like yep. what you show at the table mm -hmm. and how you engage with them. And so your ability to be able to summarize what you do and just strike up conversation. Sell yourself. Be familiar, like be, be you know easygoing and and try and relax and enjoy the thing like i know that that can be a lot more difficult for certain people if they not you know tend to be outgoing or they don't the social thing isn't their uh strong suit a but lot of introverted artists yeah right but but it does make you know the good thing is if you are creating art if you're drawing or painting or whatever and you can do it there then that you've instantly got something for people to see and something to engage with. But if you're a writer or if you've got other kind of stuff you're selling there, you kind of have to do a, you know, build up an understanding of, of <clears throat> how to strike up conversations or talk about the work and try not to get, be so slick about it that you, you come across like the yeah. kind of car salesman. Yeah, but I equally, see a lot of that, yeah. Oh, big time, right? But equally be able to talk about the work. Like, you need to be able to, to sell it and explain it. You need to be able to summarize it in a way that makes sense to people and, and build up that kind of conversation. And also understand that one of the most enjoyable parts of being at these shows is to have all kinds of interactions, that not every single one has to be I'm going to sell you something. Like if I just see an amazing cosplayer, I'll just talk to them and take a photo of their their costume. Or, or you know, if I see someone who is just browsing things, I make it clear that I'm I'm here for the weekend. I'm not mm. here to like, 
I'm going to separate money from your wallet right now. Right. If you don't buy something you're not worth interacting <laughs> with, like those are the kinds of experiences that really turn people off and, and make the show a lot more stressful for you. Totally. And I like, I get it, you know, particularly if you've bought a table or you've spent a bunch of money on uh, what you're selling there and getting ready that you have that neuroses around breaking even and, and wanting to make money and wanting to be successful. But it's sort of like a self-defeating strategy if you overkill and you just like oh, totally. go for the throat every single time and try and yeah. hard sell everyone on the item, you know? I mean, I'm a YouTuber. I only know how to lose money at cons. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> I actually did step up my merch game for the first time ever, and I felt really nice about that. Oh, it's good, good. My first well, year... that's the thing, too, is that no matter what you – no matter where you're at in your career, honestly, I've had – amazing shows early in my career i've had crappy shows you know in my current career like you never know what the kind of formula is going to be and even from year to year there's certain shows that i can gauge pretty accurately how i'm going to do based on previous years or based on growth and things like that and then there's other ones that are just like a stab in the dark i don't know what's going to always sell and sometimes even from day to day i remember a few years ago i did uh, phoenix comic-con and it was a four-day show the first day of the show, I had one of my worst sales days ever, and yeah. I thought to myself, well, this is a bust. I don't even know why I'm here. I just felt awful. I had way too much product, and by Sunday, I'd sold out of everything, oh, wow. and, I, and I don't know why. For whatever reason, Thursday was not – people weren't there to buy. They were there to browse. They were there to hang out. They were there to take photos, and then Saturday, Sunday was like, oh, we're running out of time. I'm going to buy gifts. I'm going to get stuff. And, and all of a sudden, the wallets opened up and everyone went kind of crazy. And I had never seen a show with a sales curve like that hmm. that was so uneven. And I finished the show and I was like, I should feel good. I completely sold out of everything. But I still have this weird, bitter feeling from Thursday yeah. wondering what the hell's going on. Like, <laughs> it was such a strange kind of show and yet really good. And in the end, I said, no, it was actually a really amazing show. But I had to kind of change my perception based on what i thought it was going to be versus what it ended up being you know oh, absolutely did uh, did you do uh the keystone comic-con the first year i they did yeah yep. that's right we were all there at that i still tell this story that first day where it's like wow what a beautiful venue wow they really put a lot of stuff <laughs> into this oh no one is showing up it's yeah except for like uh, us youtubers and influencers wow it's like they threw a con just for us i can have all my favorite creators hostage and they it was to to you know those kinds of shows are weird because it's like if you ever wanted to have those extensive conversations or get a commission mm-hmm. drawing man that's the show oh, to be wow. at because you've got the pick of the litter everyone is there and everyone's just chilling out they don't know what they're going to do with themselves oh, to- I still tell stories from that show all the time. Uh, what is it? Uh, David F. Walker, who I'm a huge fan of. I'm like, hey, yep. man, I really like your stuff. And then like, I walk to leave. He's like, no, 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 come back and keep me company. Don't, <laughs> don't leave just yet. And then what is it? Uh, running into Peter Tomasi, just like looking at merch. I'm like, hey, you're Peter Tomasi. Yeah, hello. There was no one at my table. So I just got up and started right. walking around. I think we were all, I mean, th- we were relaxed. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. That's also the show I found out I'm taller than Nick Spencer, which I wasn't ready for. <laughs> he, he writes like a much taller man. I was very nice, much surprised nice. by it. 
But uh, yes, speaking of comics and everything there, uh, some big news that came uh, out for you just recently is you will be taking the reins on the Conan the Barbarian book, the main title, and that's yes. that's pretty sick. Please please walk me through what I can only imagine <laughs> is the roller coaster of emotion when you figure this uh, out. It's, it's absolutely surreal. I gotta tell you, like... Conan as a as a character has been one of my absolute favorites since I was a kid. Um, my actually first professional comic credit was doing some coloring on the oh. Dark Horse reprints of Conan oh, okay. uh, that I did for the for the Udon Studio. Um, you know, uh, uh, two thousand I want to say two thousand six. I did. Um, what's it? The the Conan Red Sonia? No, what am I saying? 2006. 2000, uh, God, like 2015, what am I saying? Uh, four or five years ago, I did uh, the Conan Red Sonia crossover with Gail Simone. Oh, yeah, um, that was a good one. And that that was an absolute blast. And I thought that's the only chance I'm ever going to get to ever write Conan. Like, that was, if that was the only time, okay, that's all I got. It was amazing. The artwork turned out great. I'm really proud of the book. It was a ton of fun. Awesome. And then, um, you know, we did uh, uh, Avengers No Surrender last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Mark Wade and Al Ewing and I, and we had, you know, Pepe Larraz and Paco Medina and, so and Sean Isaac, all the all these amazing artists on board the book. Um, and we, we did this crazy weekly uh, thing, and that felt like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Um, and then as soon as we finished, my editor, Tom Brevoort, turned around and said, hey, we want to do another one of these Avengers events. Are you interested? We all said yes. We were back on board. Um, and it was Chicago last year. Chicago, I, C2E2. I know that mm. for certain. I went for dinner with uh, Pepe Larraz, uh, Mark Wade, and, and Tom, my editor. And we all sat around the table. And that's when Tom revealed that Marvel was getting the rights to Conan back. Which is an insane thing that I'm sure yeah. fans never thought would happen no, again. No, until totally. It did. None of us, you know, uh, could even have imagined it would ever happen. And so he told us that, and I was just like freaking out because I thought, oh my god, you know, what an amazing thing. And then he's like, we want to do in the weekly. We think it would be really cool to have Conan show up. Are you you guys interested in doing that? And uh, Mark Wade was like, sure, you know, that would be cool. And I'm thinking. <laughs> that's mind blowing. How are we going to do it? How's it going to work? Like I got all kind of worked up and freaked out about it. And Tom was looked at me and could tell that I was pretty, uh, <laughs> like, you know, psyched you, for you, it. You and were vibrating. Yeah. I was just vibrating. And he goes, it's not set in stone yet that we're going to do him in Avengers. But that was my thought. That would be a really cool kind of moment. I was like, yeah, yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. that would be neat. <laughs> and I'm just trying to contain my excitement. Um, I was pretty certain that Jason was going to do the main flagship book. I knew right. that Jason Aaron was a huge Conan fan, and As he's you can tell from his Thor run. <laughs> yeah, and he, and he's you know uh, there's a huge writer at Marvel, and he's on a Marvel exclusive. And I was like, okay, they're going to put together this this top notch team. It's definitely going to be Jason writing it. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe down the road, maybe I don't know, three, four years down the road, I'll if I can jockey for positioning, maybe I can pull it off. Um, but even then, it was still seemed like out of reach, to be 100% honest with you. And uh, what had happened was, you know, we did the, the No Road Home event. Um, I thought for sure I was going to have to fight with Mark and Al to write <laughs> Conan stuff. And, and Mark was like, I don't really care about Conan the Barbarian. 
And uh, Al Ewing was like, oh, you know, I know you love it, so it's clearly yours. And I was Aww. just like, what? <laughs> what? Okay, cool, man. Uh, I'll take all the Conan. So I wrote almost every Conan scene in No Road Home. Had an absolute blast doing it. I can it hear almost. your voice in it. I really could. Oh, man. It, you know, just trying to pull out all the stops and make, particularly issue six, because that was the the big kind of introductory issue with Conan there. And it, it was just like trying to do Roy Thomas by way of Robert oh, E. Yeah. like big sword and sorcery epic with the Scarlet Witch and Conan and them traveling across Stygia and just like all kinds of cool stuff. Um, and it came through well and people liked it and the Conan properties people really liked it. And then while we were writing that, you got to keep in mind for the weeklies, we have to write them way out. So we were finishing No Road Home while New York Comic Con was wrapping up. Oh. And so I'm at New York Comic Con and I corner Mark Bessel, who's the editor of the Conan books. Mm -hmm. And I just like absolutely cornered him at the Marvel party. <laughs> and I was like, look, I know Savage Sword is a is an anthology style book. You guys are doing rotating creative teams. I need to pitch you a Conan story. And he goes, oh, have you, have you got some ideas? I'm like, boy, do I ever. <laughs> I have this this thing I've been wanting to do with Conan for a long time. It's He gets trapped in this crazy gambling house. And it's this really weird story I've been wanting to do. And I, I haven't seen anything quite like it, but I feel like it's adjacent to, you know, the classic kind of Conan stuff. And he goes, well, you know, write it up, send it to me. So I sent over this pitch for this three-part story called The Gambler. Um, and, the, and Mark really loved it. The Conan Properties people really, really loved it. They freaked out. And they slotted me into Savage Sword over the summer. So... Um, all of a sudden I was doing three issues of Savage Sword of Conan. So again, I'm like, this is my last chance. This is my only, you know, I got to do the best I can for, for Conan because I love this character so much. And, and this is the first time I'm writing him solo. Like yeah, previously, yeah. you know, Gail Simone and I did Red Sonja and Conan and now, you know, No Road Home. Yeah, I wrote almost all the Conan stuff, but in theory, you know, it's Mark Wade and Al and I, and then they did do a bunch of cool stuff and uh, brought a bunch of great ideas into it. So this is, everyone else is off the field. This is all me. It's mine to screw it up, basically. Mm. Um, you know, they got Pat Zerker on the artwork and did an guy. amazing job. And Java Tartaglia did the art, or did the colors and did an amazing job. And that three-parter was like, just kind of pulling out all the stops. Like, what would I do in the Hyborian Age no weird superhero crossover, no mm. no co-writer, just me kind of just opening up the, the, the floodgates on it and trying to tell this tight, fun, sword and sorcery tale. Um, and it went over really well. It went over well with the readers. It went over well with the Conan property people. And then I got to meet them. So I met them at, um, at San Diego Comic-Con. And by that point, um, we were starting to talk about potential other things. They had worked at the deal with Marvel to bring in these other Robert E. Howard characters. Yes, I was uh, wanting to talk about that too, yeah. yeah. And so at the time, we didn't have a name for it. We were still kind of circling around different concepts and what could work. And I was obsessing over this obscure character in the Robert E. Howard canon um, called James Allison, and he is this really weird meta character. He is, uh, so, you know, some backstory. Robert E. Howard is this author who lives in rural Texas in the 30s 
who, you know, goes through a lot of really weird stuff in his life and real depressing episodes, and he's kind of unleashing his ideas on the page, and he's obsessing over, you know, historical research and doing all sorts of, of stuff, obviously, you know, Call the Conqueror and Conan the Barbarian and all mm-hmm. sorts of things like this. Um, James Allison is this guy living in rural Texas oh. who is dying essentially he's been badly injured and he's now uh he's a, a a writer who can't write he's trapped in this on his deathbed and he's wasting away and he has these sort of waking nightmares but they're all real and they're of his past lives in these mythic places mm. going on these insane adventures and so it's this weird meta commentary and it's trippy and it's strange and it's got real heft to it. And he only wrote kind of two complete James Allison stories. But I love this idea of this kind of uh, reincarnation and this echo across reality with the character and the way he lived these past lives of these mythic heroes Mm -hmm. and so i said look i think james allison can be our connective tissue i think there's a way to use him as the fulcrum for this storytelling to bring together characters like solomon kane and and dark agnes conan and 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 just sort of build it all into something also moon knight well and so that was when mark came to me and said you know we don't currently have a moon knight book and we'd love to find a place we think moon knight's got a kind of a cool feel that he, we could sword and sorcery him up a bit. Yeah. And, I, and that's a great fit because you've got set, you know, the, the God of evil and snakes and all that. And obviously in the Egyptian mythos, you've got set and you've got Khonshu, the God of the moon. And mm-hmm. that's, that all fits. I can make that work very easily. And I think that would be really cool. And so we just start plugging in all these different elements. And I built out this crazy epic story. Um, it had a different name at first, and then eventually we we settled on Serpent War, and so that uh, I kind of went wild with it because again I thought, man, this is probably my last chance to <laughs> better go all out, and I'm going to go all out. Plus, I get to work with Solomon Kane and Dark Agnes and Moon Knight. These are all cool characters and. Mm-hmm all these bits that I really love and no, most people don't know James Allison. And so I'm going to get to introduce the general public to this very cool, funky meta character in the Robert E. Howard canon. Uh, and then, uh, Mark, uh, and his, uh, assistant editors, they actually let me know that Marvel had done an adaptation of one of the James Allison stories in an old issue of man. What's hold on. I've got the comic right here. All right. Take your time. Uh, supernatural thrillers oh nice and it's called the valley of the worm and it's drawn by gil kane oh holy crap by roy thomas and so the great thing was i was going to use that story as an important part of kind of the the whole thing don't you love when you can do that we had this actual marvel comic story we could use so um as we're releasing Serpent War number one, we're also releasing one of those uh, uh, Marvel 99 cent reprints mm. of that issue of Valley of the Worm. So I'm really excited for people to be able to get their hands on this uh, real classic kind of obscure bit of Marvel history. And then we plug it right into this new cool story called Serpent War 
that that brings these characters across the ages and has them fighting you know the god set and there's all sorts of crazy surprises that we're going to unleash on it um two issues come out in december and then two issues in january and then i take over conan the barbarian in february and so i sent in the outline for serpent war the conan properties people were super impressed i sent in the first script and the response was just visceral like the conan people loved it uh you know, Mark and, and the rest of the Marvel team, C.B. Sobolski read the script and he really enjoyed it. And so everyone just was, the energy was was high. Um, the plans started to move forward for doing, you know, more stuff in and around kind of uh, uh, the event. And then out of nowhere, you know, Mark uh, asked if he could give me a call. Normally we just email each other. Mm-hmm. And he said, look, you know, Jason's going to be wrapping up his run on Conan basically a year in, you know, 12 issues. Um, are you interested in, in picking up the <laughs> series? It's basically yours to turn down, which was mind-blowing to me, you know, um, like a year after, you know, Jason launches, and and now I've got this really cool opportunity to, to pick up the sword and, and show people what I can do. And it's weird. It's like I've done some really awesome stuff. I've had an absolute joy, you know, working on Dungeons and Dragons comics, mm-hmm. doing um, Samurai Jack and, and writing the Avengers and writing other Marvel superhero stuff. But this is like kind of a different level for me. It feels, this is one of those characters that I've said over and over again in interviews and I've bucket list kind of, you know, goals would be to write Conan like, the real flagship thing and now it's been handed to me and i'm nervous like i'm excited and i'm freaking out and it's like all these um there's a heightened sense of of emotions around it in a way i haven't had with other comic projects and so yeah it's it's kind of unusual for me because i haven't you always say man you know what i wouldn't give to work on x you know right, whatever right spider-man the x-men you know these but do you actually have a pitch titles. yeah and to and to to have someone say you're the guy go you know show us what you can do like put your money where your mouth is yeah. like I, you know uh, for me the gambler story for savage sword was that it was a way to prove this is what i do with conan but that's a three-part story you know and it's self-contained and now it's like we'll do it again and do it bigger, do it broader, do something, take a seminal character who's had hundreds of stories made. Do something different. It's like, it's like Superman almost. But not too different, not too outside the lines, but make sure it feels like Conan, but don't just do what's been done before, but don't make it not feel like Conan. You know, it's, it's, it's no crazy. pressure or anything. Yeah. No pressure, no pressure at all. Um, and that's what I'm kind of feeling right now is this like excitement and this pressure, this desire to want to, you know, you always want people to enjoy what you do, right? Like, you know, every creator, you make stuff and you put it out there because you want people to respond positively to it. Totally. And this feels like that on a whole other level. Like, I want to bring new readers in the door and I want them to feel the kind of excitement and joy for the character that I have. And then you've got these real long-term, long-time fans of the Roy Thomas books, of the Dark Horse series, of... of the, the, the multiple iterations over the years and you're trying to sum that all up and make it feel iconic and feel cool but, also but still feel like me 
all those things at once. And so uh, it's a cool tightrope that I'm on right now. And I'm like, I'm excited about it and freaking out a little bit and really pumped for people to read what what we're putting together. Absolutely. I'm excited too as a fan. Uh, A question I wanted to ask you, what do you think culturally – from your experience, you know, why why has Conan come back in such a big, bad way right now? Because I know when I heard Marvel was going to be making Conan comics, you know, like, well, that's cool for me, but I'm an uber nerd. Will the general right. public care? Yeah, they cared enough for two books and a big event and everything else. They're yep. super caring about Conan. Why? Well, what do you think about Conan is so timeless and just so, like, you know, why have people, why has it caught fire now? Um, I think it's weird. Like, I think sword and sorcery is really hot right now in a, in a good way. Like people are, are really excited about fantasy in a way that I haven't seen, you know, since I was a kid between, you know, and you can point to game of Thrones and Harry Potter and the Lord of the Rings movies and all that stuff. But I think it's also just this broader sense of, of really intense escapism, Yeah, you know, and, and not in the kind of hardened dystopian sci-fi way, but in like this really escapist, really out there worlds and ideas that we don't, you know, we, we haven't engaged as much in over the years as as we'd like. And now we feel like we can do it. I think it helps a lot that on the movie and TV front, the quality of visuals, you can yeah. actually make a Lord of the Rings movie that feels big and epic the way that the books did. You can make, you know, a Game of Thrones TV show that has huge armies smashing into each other. And so the visual touchstones that we imagined reading those books and reading the comics i think are now accessible to the general public visually in a way that they weren't before that you saw in some video games but not even to this level you know um and i think that's really part of it i think you know the the rise uh the resurgence of of Dungeons and Dragons, but I think there's something very primal about Conan as a character. Like he is not an idealized hero. He's Ew. not perfect. He's not. He's an atypical um, anti-hero. He's a codifier almost for the anti-hero. Absolutely, but there's something very straightforward about him. Like he goes out into adventure and he takes on, um, you know, these foes in a way that everyone can understand and everything sort of makes sense and his need to wander and his need to engage and find the world. And I'd like to say make sense of it, but in some ways just experience it, Mm -hmm. I think is really, uh, has a very escapist flair to it. Totally. The character, like some of the best superheroes doesn't take a lot to explain. You can drop in and drop out at almost any moment and you won't feel out of sorts. That's what I like about Conan. Cause yeah. I know when it was coming back where it's like, ah, oh, geez, you know, are people going to be confused getting into the, no, it's all in the name. He's Conan. He is a barbarian. Sometimes right. he's a King. <laughs> my, my friend, uh, Robin has a term for these kinds of characters. He calls them procedural characters, almost mm-hmm. like you'd see on, on law and order from, from week to week, you know, new episodes come out, you know the the grizzled personalities of these characters, and what you want to see is how they deal with this new problem. You know, it's like uh, uh, when you'd watch uh, old sitcoms, you know, the character personalities are pretty structured and set, but what we want to see is how they engage this new problem or what this new threat kind of puts them up against and how they respond to it. And Conan stays very 
you know, grounded in his own beliefs. There's different eras, you know, there's more kind of youthful and impetuous and troublemaking. There's the kind of grim post, uh, uh, you know, black coast and, and Belit's death and all that sort of stuff. And then there's the King Conan, the, mm. the sort of bitter man who is, you know, a king by his own hand and all there that kind go. of stuff. And, and, and those three major eras all contain iconic aspects of personality and of storytelling, and they're very easy to understand. And what we want to do is see him up against particular threats or see how he gets his way out of these situations. And so it's a challenge. It, 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 it's a challenge to write that in that big, bombastic, kind of poetic way to come up with threats that have not quite been done before or give them a bit of a spin and still to make it feel like the character, you know, one of the most famous characters in literature, mm -hmm. honestly. Um, and, and, and the more I talk about it out loud, the more intimidated I get. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can feel it. <laughs> but it's good. Like it's a, it's an amazing opportunity when you consider the fact that there are not regular Conan novels being produced right now, really the comics are the vast bulk of the storytelling being done with this character. And so it's a gift, like it's a real opportunity to build out the mythology and to try new things and to be bold, but not lose the core of what makes Conan great. Like I, I'm not here to update Conan. I'm not here to tell uh, uh, this is not a 2020 man. This is, a, you know, Conan of the Hyborian age. But there are cool things we can do with modern storytelling techniques or with right. the kind of beautiful art uh, that you can do in modern comics and the kind of pacing and action and stuff like that that I feel like we can bring to the character rather than it being like trying to, to update him or... or I don't know, mess with the ingredients that people know and love, you know? Right. Not, not reinventing the big wheel. That no, no, not sometimes. at all. <laughs> yeah, it's about, you know, for me, one of the reasons why we're also having him travel to remote areas of the Hyborian Age that we haven't seen very much of is because that's the way that I get to really make some new toys, right? Mm. Like build out the cultures or, or some of the mythos or some of the creatures of these places that have not been well-worn in the stories. You know, there have been tons and tons of stories in Stygia. You know, there have been tons of stories of Conan in, in you know, all, all these regions that he's traveled through, we've seen time and time again, him in deserts and, and in jungles and, and stuff like that, mountains. And, like, we're going to have certain um, elements of, of that kind of classic sword and sorcery stuff in there, obviously. But what I want to do is I want to also show kind of new architecture or new places or new threats and, and things where he feels like he's way out of his depth um, and he's off the grid, you know, in a way that he can't just flee to somewhere he knows. He can't just fall back on the kinds of cultural touchstones he knows he's got to push through he's got to figure his way out of it and that's mm -hmm. that's where the challenge is for me totally i like that uh Thanks. moving on from conan just for a second there because you've done sure. a lot and i want to try and cover know, as much I'm of it as like, i can you can see how it just sort of pours out of me it's a little uh my friends when i you know before it got announced i was trying not to to spoil it but Every time I would get together with really close friends or, or, you know, I'm hanging out with my wife and we're chatting, like I just 
it's this unstoppable kind of waterfall because I love the character so much. It's it's passion like that that I see why they got the right person for the job on Thanks. this one, I think. Uh, uh, another series that you're working hard at right now is, of course, Agents of Wakanda. I covered the first yeah. two issues on the channel. What I love about this and what you were uh, very upfront in telling people you were going to do with this book is the two-issue arc. Uh, two arc for stories. Yeah, two-issue stories. I, I yep, love yep. that, and I wish more people Thanks. would do that. I feel doing a one-and-done or doing small arcs is like a lost art form now. No one even tries to do it anymore. No, it's really hard, too. I think we're so built mentally for four- to six-issue kind of storytelling. Everyone's writing for the trade, and that's cool, and there's definitely an appeal to the kind of pacing and the way you can roll out a story, but man, like, if I'm not mistaken, I think the original Galactus story is three issues, mm -hmm. like in Fantastic Four. It is short. It is very simple. They Days of build Future up Past this is huge short epic. too. Right? Yeah, Days of Future Past is two issues. Right? Like, there's an, a way to do epic. There's a way to do cool setup and payoff in one or two issues, and it it is a challenge. And so, we were talking about this kind of Mission Impossible style format. And I said, you know, Warren Ellis did these two-issue stories in um, Next Wave, yeah. and I thought they were really fun and kooky. I want to kind of do two-issue stories. I want to do these missions where we Mission Impossible set it up. Who's the cast? Who's on this mission? What crazy thing are they up against? Big cliffhanger. Crazy payoff onto the next thing. And from each story, there are threads that carry over. There's uh, the the team is growing, you know, uh, their relationships are changing, the way they interact mm -hmm. with each other. There are questions that we set up in some of the earlier issues that we pay off in later ones, but that's like B-plot running, sort of bubbling under the surface. The A-plot is always this big, bombastic threat that they've got to deal with in the immediate, and who is available and who is, you know, got the skills uh, to deal with it. And that's it's a cool challenge, and it's been a lot of fun to do. And having someone like Lam Medina, who's an absolute veteran of the industry and does real a, a really nice balance between kind of classic Marvel superhero storytelling and with a nice modern, you know, mm -hmm. clean edge to it. Oh yeah, uh, it looks great. We're having a blast doing it, and it's um, it's just been a joy to put together. And Will Moss, uh, the editor, this is my first time working with him, and I wasn't sure. You know, every um, when you talk to people on the outside, they're like, "What's it like writing for Marvel?" And it's like it's kind of every office, every editorial office is different. Right. You know, working for Tom Brevoort is different from working for Jordan White. Is different from working for Mark Panacea or working for you know Will Moss, and so. Those are the challenges, figuring out what they like and how, what I do well that they're going to key into. Definitely. And Will's up for the crazy, which I love. I love, I can throw obscure, ridiculous kind of continuity or weird cross-purpose kind of mishmash of things, and he's up for it. He's up for anything. And that has been a cool challenge as well, is trying to pull stuff out of the funky corners of the marvel universe and and just play with the toys do something oh, really oh, cool you're, you're digging deep <laughs> into the toy box there and i had to yep, ask yep. uh when when it comes to doing a big team book like this uh do you have like a list of characters that you submit where it's like can i have this one this one and this one and they tell you if you're allowed to have them or not 
Sometimes, like the original cast for Agents of Wakanda was set by Jason Aaron because he introduced them in the Avengers series. That's right, he did. So my core cast was already set. But like Mockingbird was something she was in the periphery, and I just sort of scooped her up. Um, but in terms of the the missions, like the villains, um, I think Sentry was something that Will suggested. He was like, "Sentry's on the board as a potential oh, thing weird. if you want to use them." So I was like, "Oh yeah, I'll, I'll you know snatch that up." I mean, how can you not after uh, Lemire, right. like it's reimagine so the whole thing? And that's like, why is no one using that? <laughs> I know it's such a fun little piece. And then in the second story, we've got. A bit, it's actually a bit of hanging kind of thread of continuity that Al and I talked about from No Surrender. In the original No Surrender story, um, you know, the moon and Earth get stolen. Like, Earth gets stolen. Mm-hmm. And we mentioned that the moon's gone as well. And later on, while we were working on it, at some point, I think Al said, did we say the moon is gone? Because we never really deal with that. No, I, I was even thinking back. I was like, that's right. They did. No, they didn't resolve that. <laughs> And, you know, given how Al tends to deal with the cosmic stuff, he joked around. He's like, oh, I'll get to it at some point. I'll get to it. I'll, I'll, I'll say what happened to the moon. And then I was working on this, and I go, no, I think I got it. I know what happened to the moon. I'm going to deal with the moon problem. And so I told Al, I'm like, by the way, I'm, I'm cleaning up the moon problem. We got this all figured out. And then I realized we've got uh, John Jameson on the team, mm-hmm. who is, One you know, uh, Manwolf. And, you know, he's got this famous story where he crashes on the moon and he ends up finding all this cosmic power and becomes this thing called the star god and like all this kookiness that uh, I thought, man, that's a fun little bit and that's got a moon bit I can use. And so there's all sorts of fun stuff there where you can take disparate pieces of the Marvel Universe and find you know connective tissue between them and put them into the stories. So and, you, and you're very good at that. In my own reviews, Thanks. when I cover your stuff, it's like, oh, everyone forgot about this. Zub didn't forget about <laughs> this. Zub always remembered this, and he I'm, used it. I'm pretty crazy about the continuity stuff. Like it's something I really enjoyed as a kid. Like when I would see those little captions that would tell you the last time these two heroes met was in Marvel Two and One or back in a you know a Hulk annual or something. To me it felt like it was all planned out. I mean you read the books and they're bonkers. Like and you can even see once you get older you can see writers almost tug of warring oh, yeah. concepts of characters, how they feel they should work and and where their their ongoing stories should go. But as a kid I didn't notice that. All I noticed was everything happened for a reason. You know, something like um, in the Thor book I remember there was this thing, I think it's called the Casket of Endless Winters or yes. something. And and they unleash winter all over Earth. And then in the in Kitty Pride and Wolverine, I remember that they wake up at one point and it's snowing all over Japan and they go, It's unusual this time of year, but there's something going on with the seasons being all screwed up, and there's a little caption that says, Are you reading Thor? <laughs> and I was like, Damn, like that feels like a a world like that feels like a cohesive fun kind of interconnected place and so when i started writing marvel books i wanted that feeling to my books i wanted it to feel like everything matters that the work that other people have done in the books matters oh yeah and that hopefully what i do will matter going forward and so i try and uh play nice and and 
connect little bits together or or hold stuff up to the light and kind of go, isn't this neat? Look at this funky thing. Um, everything you've read has some role to play in it, you know? That's that's totally why I fell in love with your run-on champions, amongst other things, where it's <laughs> like, it's like, look, here's a bunch of characters. Some of them have kind of been lost in the shuffle. Some of them haven't really got a chance. Let me remind you, yes, these things happened. Yes, they are important. And now I'm putting it in a nice bow for the next writer for, you know, who wants to take them from here. Right, exactly. And and that's the kind of stuff I feel like it's it's part of our job, you know, is to add and to build on what's there. And that's one of the reasons why something like an interconnected universe, the DC universe, the Marvel universe, that's why they they mean so much to so many people because as as there are thousands of these stories and I know, you know, if you try to measure them in time, obviously it all kind of breaks down the reality of it, how many birthdays of characters had and how many Christmases, but, but, but the overall feeling of it, the feeling that these stories have happened and that they're still building and that they still have, you know, kind of presence that we can reveal, I think is really special. Right. So something like when I started writing Thunderbolts, you know, we had the the fixer in the series, yes. and people were like freaking out, and they said the fixer is is trapped in a time loop at the end of the other Thunderbolt series. There's no possible way he could be in the book, and I was like, unless there's a reason, <laughs> unless there's a reason, and it took a while, but eventually we revealed in the book how he was broken out of the time loop and how that all fit together, and so it was a it was a nugget that. It was a it was a puzzle to solve, not something to ignore. You right. know what I mean? And the the really difficult part of it is how do I introduce that into the story in a way that a brand new reader will not feel lost? What they'll hopefully feel is what I did growing up, which is excitement for this earlier story and excitement that this has happened and there's more to discover and more, you know things to to presents to open up that's how it felt to me you know it was weird because there were no trade paperbacks there was no No. digital archive and so i would just see that little note and i'd be like oh man this old crazy bit of continuity and then i'd go into a back issue bin and i'd be like well i can't afford that comic it's way too expensive i'm sure it's awesome whatever's in there i'm sure it's really special (laughs) and amazing that it was uh yeah it's a it's a it's a unique thing now that we have the kind of archives that we do that people can go on Marvel Unlimited and really binge read and and discover these older stories, you know. Totally, without a doubt. That's that's a beautiful way to look at it. Uh, another fun project you have coming down the pipeline. This one got solicited just recently. You're going to be writing the Avengers Hulk book that will be tying into the video game. Actually, that's got to be an interesting yeah. new thing to do. Obviously, of course, I'm very excited about the game. Everyone else's. This is going to be you know uh, takes that are familiar, but also kind of doing their own thing. How right. uh, how did this come about? And uh, uh, what, so there's there's tip? actually three uh, one shots that have been announced. So there's um, an Iron Man one, a Thor one, and a Hulk one that mm-hmm. I'm all doing w- that all are prequel material for the video game. So the Avengers video game has been in development for several years now. Yeah. And I was asked to by Bill Roseman to come on board. And Mark Basseau, who's my editor on the Conan books uh, as well, he's the, the editor on this um, series uh, of one shots, and so they asked me if I would be interested. 
because I had raved about the Spider-Man PS4 game. So good. And how much I enjoyed it and how smart the writing was. And Bill had picked up on that and Mark had picked up on that. And they said, you know, you know, we're building out what they call the gamerverse, like uh. this broader kind of Marvel universe. And, and, you know, the Avengers game has got a, is a big, big piece of it. And we want to, you know, kind of go deeper and like the Spider-Man game, these characters are in their kind of in their prime. Mm. They've done a bunch of adventures. This isn't an origin story. This is them. They're veterans, essentially, of, of this universe. So we need to make it feel fully formed. And they've done a bunch of things. And it sort of feels a little bit like its own thing. And it feels a little bit like the comics and a little bit like the movies. How do we fuse these kinds of elements together and make it feel familiar but fresh and so that was a it was a cool challenge to to figure out some stories that could help build out the characters you know but also give you some clues about how they will be subtly different in the video game I like so. that. I like that sort of Thanks. thing a lot. I think uh, I think we can agree uh, a, a real kind of uh, benchmark for that kind of thing is obviously what Taylor and everyone else did with Injustice to where that became oh. so popular, that became an entire universe unto itself. Like, I gotta tell you, that those sorts of projects, I think DC is more known for that kind of stuff, where they will do, you know, whether it's Red Sun or, or you know, The Dark Knight, or these kinds of stories that feel like they're their own world, they've got their own uh, deeper kind of continuity, and they, they feel like everything's up for grabs. You know, what Tom did with Injustice, and his ability to blow it out on such a huge scale, because it's not bound by the monthly books. You know what Definitely. I mean? The same thing that he's been doing with deceased where he can yeah. do this zombie apocalypse and take it to its insane logical conclusion. Like it's, I wouldn't say it's illogical, but like unexpected totally. kind of conclusion. What a, what a good Halloween it, read that was. Oh man. And so cool. And when he's able to bring some of the core themes of the characters back around in unexpected ways, I love that stuff. Uh, Tom's also one of the nicest guys That's in the I industry. Hear. He was, um, we've hung out a little bit, but at Paris Comic-Con in October, we finally got a chance to like hang out and go drink and really chat up a storm. And the, he's just a delight. Like you can see, there are very few writers that are simultaneously doing high profile projects at DC and Marvel. Yeah, that is a really a tough balancing act to pull off. And he's able to do it pretty effortlessly. And then you meet him and you go, oh, I see how this works. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> Like I, can, I can totally see why he's at you know at the at the top of the tier in in both camps. No doubt. So. One of my favorite uh, stories related to Young Justice, you might get a kick out of this, is that I uh, was interviewing Jimmy Palmiotti, who people forget wrote the video game story for Injustice One. The oh, game. did he? Yes, he did. Oh, before cool. the comics became anything, he wrote that. And uh, Crazy. and what is there? Uh, the, the the question was breached. Just like, well, did they ask you to write the Injustice comic? And he's like, no, they didn't. I would have. Why didn't they ask me? I I, I would have written. <laughs> oops yeah oops sorry i guess you lost out on this great amazing franchise uh that's just that's just something funny there uh 
some more cool stuff uh, coming down the yeah. pipeline as well. Uh, you are obviously very much involved in the Dungeons and Dragons scene, both the comics, both the streaming stuff. And now, yeah. uh, due to your work with the truly hilarious, truly unique D and D versus Rick and Morty universe, I actually read issue three right before we started because I wanted to be oh, up sweet. to date on it. Uh, there's also uh, just in time for Christmas the D and D versus Rick and Morty the RPG box set. It's on my yep. Amazon wish list. Is it on yours, everybody? It should. Oh be. man, let me let me grab this thing. I've actually got one here. Nice. Yeah. So this thing is a. It is absolutely one of those projects that shouldn't exist. Like I don't even know how we got here. It's beautiful uh, but, madness. But, yeah, it is beautiful madness. Like the original. When I got approached about the possibility of doing a comic around this, I said, sounds cool. It'll never happen because mm. you'll never get Hasbro to sign off on this. You'll never get Adult Swim to take the crown jewel of their, you know. So many uh, cooks uh, in the kitchen. Yeah, it's just, it's going to be a nightmare to pull together the contracts. No, no one's going to agree to anything on this. Slowly but surely, they worked it out. Suddenly, Pat Rothfuss and I are writing this insane comic. Troy Little and Leonardo Ito are doing the artwork and everything looks phenomenal. And, and it, it was so funny because I think people came to the first issue of the first series and they were like, this is going to be a car crash. <laughs> like this is going to be either like a brutal shill kind of, of ad, or it's going to be just like a disaster. Right, right. And then they were like, you know what? This is better than I thought. You know what? This is actually quite funny. Yeah. You know, this actually feels quite appropriate. And then people are like, wait a minute, this is good. This is like a heartfelt story about why we play D&D. And it's a treatises on, on the character cast of Rick and Morty. Absolutely. And it can be both. And it can be in the same way that the show is kind of lowbrow humor, but also these high, crazy ideas. Mm. We can do the same kind of thing with the comic. We can tell a story about all the visceral ridiculous mega violence that happens in your average D and D game. Yeah. And we can also tell you a story, a, a heartfelt story about why we play games and what they mean to us. Um, you know, we can tell a story about the flaws of, of Rick and, and his ego run amok while we can also be, you know, ridiculous and sarcastic and nasty and gross in all the ways that you hope, you know, Rick and Morty will be. It's, it's the stuff um, you do with Jerry that really speaks to me, right. both in this and especially in the new one that's out right now, where it's like, wow, in this fantasy world, Jerry is actually worth a damn and finds himself here only in the world of D&D. Well, and that's the thing. Dungeons & Dragons, what's really an insane kind of challenge for us is remember that these are not just the characters it's the characters being empowered by their own fantasy right mm -hmm. so who does jerry think he is in the world of dnd &D? so dnd &D brings out jerry's best qualities his desire to protect his family his desire to be capable and worthy and dnd &D brings out rick's worst qualities his selfishness his lack of of self-awareness in his need to power game in a in a, a campaign that's about characters and emotion and he's all about the statistics and about the numbers and so it's and a, he's fun a shitty gatekeepy uh, fan too being like you're playing the game wrong i'm like oh i like yep. that rick's a bad dm i like that 
Absolutely. And so for me, that's what was really fun. And, and when Pat and I were talking about these characters, we couldn't delve deep enough. We just kept thinking how the different sort of, of angles we could take on it and the ways that we could bring out character and bring out storytelling using the two, you know, kind of things smashed into each other. Um, we finished up the first comic. It went over like gangbusters. And they, you know, the editors asked us, would you guys want to do more pat's crazy busy with like movie and tv stuff uh i pitched an idea for the the sequel to him actually a year ago we were at pax unplugged the big rpg convention and we were signing and i chatted with him and i said i've got a neat take on on what we could do you know rick is a first edition DD player he made a bunch of characters we always make you know, crappy characters when we start off oh, in yeah. role-playing games. You don't know the rules. You don't know how to optimize. You don't understand what this campaign's going to be like. But Rick can't handle that failure. He can't handle being less than optimal. So those characters are going to get thrown away. But somewhere off in the infinite dimensions, they exist, yeah. and they hate him. <laughs> Naturally. And Pat was like, that's a really fun take. Uh, that would be awesome. And then a couple weeks later, he contacted me and goes, I really love the story idea. I'm up to my eyeballs and stuff. But, like, you've got my blessing. Go get him. Like, do it. And so, you know, I said I wouldn't do the sequel without Troy because I felt like Troy and Leonardo brought so much to the artwork and saved our asses so many times on really complicated things on the page. And uh, I certainly wasn't going to do it without, without Troy and Leo. So... They brought back the art team, and we were, you know, roaring on on the sequel. As that got wound up, um, Wizards of the Coast was so happy with how it all came together, they started their own separate negotiations with Adult Swim to put together the, the game product. And um, we knew they were going to use artwork from the comics. We knew they were going to use some of the core ideas. And uh, um, we reached out and said, look, you know, I, I would be interested in throwing some ideas into the hat, which turn into, will you co-write, you know, the, the box set? Nice. And I grabbed as much of it as I could with my schedule. So I did the majority of the commentary that's in the rule book. So it's built like a malformed version of the D&D starter set. Right, right. So there's a rule book and there's an adventure. And the rule book is twice as thick as normal because it's got so much rick commentary mm -hmm. that he just like eats up page count with his little sidebars and and footnotes and kind of mad scribbles over the page and then there's an adventure that'll take you from i think level one to three that that builds on all of rick's kind of concepts and also rips off a lot of elements from like old first edition DD modules nice. and the very gygaxian kind of from room to room you don't know what you're gonna get let's mess with the players let's challenge them with the unexpected so yeah that's that's super awesome uh, every year when my friends from high school come back for the christmas season we try and get together and have a DD game ourselves and i really hope that i get this one because i want to run the rick and morty game for them when they all come back oh, this man. year it's really built for that kind of one shot or two part kind of of playthrough and just it, it's you know wild and bizarre and if the players are in the right headspace like you know it all, this is just a fun time. This is as, as, you know, beer and pretzels as it gets. Let's just ride this sucker out and see where it all goes and see what's left of us by the end of it. And, and there's a real joy in that. Um, kind of very, 
low impact kind of escapist ridiculousness. No. And it's it's D and D can be these things. That's what I love about it as a as a container for entertainment. It can be really deep storytelling. It can be exploratory and crazy and very um, nuanced, dramatic, or it can be absolutely bonkers, oh, yeah. silly, goofy, escapist you know, kooky fun. So it's the difference yeah. between critical role and the adventure zone, which all get name right? dropped in the comic, which made me love it even more. I'm like, Whoa, this comic is real and lived in the comic. Oh, yeah. knows the things I know. Although hilariously as like a super nerdy fan of both Rick and Morty and D and D I laughed that Harmon quest, the show that Dan Harmon does did not get mentioned in. I'm like, I wonder why that is. Oh, cause they play Pathfinder. That's, That's why. Right. They do play Pathfinder. Oh. It's so funny. Right, the, when you think about the the weird nuance of it, although like I did write the Pathfinder comic series for uh, a couple did. years there, that was a real joy to put together uh, early on. That was one of the first uh, monthly kind of work for hire gigs that I did, oh. and um, kind of it was a way to really cut my teeth and show people that I could do a regular book that I could hit the marks in terms of a, an IP. And it was just a really fun challenge. It was a really cool series to work on. But yeah, the the kind of old the, the the Pathfinder sort of split, you know, from D and D third edition and all that kind of stuff is a really unique part of gaming history in that Definitely. way. Yeah, and, and of course, uh, as nerds as the people we are, it's always like, oh, what what team do you carry the banner for? Are you Coke or Pepsi? <laughs> are you uh, uh, what is it, Apple or PC? I know when I got into right. the game, which was admittedly not that long ago at all, the guy at the game store was very adamant on pushing Pathfinder. Even though I'm like, well, I kind of <laughs> want to get into D and D. He's like, no, you got to do the Pathfinder. So I bought a Pathfinder <laughs> set, then I just went back and I got the D and D set anyway. And I'm like, well, right. these are close enough, but I'm glad I played Pathfinder first, just so I'm like, okay, this is what it's like. This is what it's like right. now. Now, I kind of got to take that ride, which admittedly Morty takes in the book of seeing the evolution <laughs> of the game. Well, also skipping fourth because we don't talk about fourth. <laughs> we don't talk about fourth, right? But it's like a weird, um, yeah, it's amazing to me the resurgence of role playing games as a whole. But obviously, D&D has got a real spotlight right now. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I never imagined that we'd be seeing the kind of mainstream coverage that we're seeing now and the kind of growth that the game is having and the, the, you know, the rising tides raise all ships. Like oh, yeah. I think all playing as a whole is really benefiting from it. The board game industry, just that idea of, look, we're going to get together and have, we're going to spend fun time together and we're going to build something. We're going to do something. We're not just going to stare at a screen. We're not just going to passively enjoy entertainment. We're going to have engagement and we're going to make choices about what we do and who we do that with. And I think that's what's so, that's one of the many reasons why I think the game is in such a good space right now is that people want these visceral experiences, you totally. know? And there's yeah. nothing like it is the thing. I was very lucky. I uh, DM'd my first game not that long ago. Uh, Capes and Quests. You can go back and watch it on the channel right now. I noticed that you'd started up a game. I saw that on the channel there. It's very cool. I did. We did a whole session, and at least two of the people I played with had never played before. Oh. And, and I had never DM'd before, and it was this beautiful moment of like, all right, let us, let us hold each other's hands as we go through this, and we'll figure it out together. And we had a great time, and it's this moment <sighs> of like, man, I've played a lot of video games, read a lot of 
books and comics, but nothing can really match this shared storytelling thing we just did. And I want to bring it back for a season two. That's what's so amazing about it for me, honestly, is so I've got a, a little podcast we're doing. We update it sort of infrequently. It's called the Danger Dice Gang. Mm. And that is me running my close friends, who almost all of them are comic creators here in Toronto running them through old school modules. So first edition modules with fifth edition rules and me, my nostalgia for these adventures. I've read them dozens of times now, you know, in some cases I've read, I've run them before, but in many cases I haven't even run them. I just read them endlessly and now trying to put a group through them, but using a bit more of a modern sensibility and they have none of the nostalgia for it. So they're just getting whatever it is up front. You know, and it's going to be what it's going to be. And there's something really enjoyable about their visceral reaction to it. You know, um, I've been playing D&D the longest in this group, and some of them have been playing since second edition or third or fourth. And so they're, again, that, that lack of preconceived notions about a lot of the material is really enjoyable. It's one of the things I love about running new people through D&D is you get to give them their first impression. Absolutely. You get to give them... Uh, unlock kind of of the potential of it and show them what the game is capable of. And I think that that's something really, really fun about it is that it is a welcoming kind of thing. And and like you said, there's nothing quite like it. Like, I don't know where this story is going to go and you don't know where the story is going to go, but together we're going to find out. And that's what's really cool is no matter how much I plan, no matter how much the module has a structure, it matters, but it doesn't because they're going to, decide what's important oh they're they're gonna gonna flip the table sometimes and that's where the really beautiful stuff happens exactly and that is a really enjoyable thing to be a part of to have that spontaneity or to suddenly realize that the story is forming in a way you couldn't have imagined and leaning into it and realizing that the the group is thoroughly entertained and you're entertained the discovery of it is part of that that entertainment you know totally Well, you know, uh, Jim, I've taken up an hour of your time so far. Uh, I just want to thank you so much for coming and chatting. No we, we we hit everything I wanted to talk about. But uh, before we go, before we say good day, uh, uh, any other new projects, anything else coming out you want to promote, anything you want to talk about? This is either going to be going – I think this is going to be going up this coming w- – no, uh, next Wednesday because we have a show oh, in perfect. the hopper. This is going to go out the Wednesday following that. Cool. So speaking of the D&D stuff, uh, I, I write the official D&D comic, which yeah. is one of the reasons why I got the ability to do the Rick and Morty D&D crossover. So we do a miniseries about every year of this ongoing D&D group that mm. we've been doing since 2014. The fifth miniseries starts like basically as you are seeing this show. So it's called Infernal Tides, and it has some of the kind of connective tissue of Descent into Avernus, which is the new big D&D set where the characters literally go to the nine hells and there's crazy devils and, and infernal deals being made and ridiculous flaming Mad Max style war machines Love running it. across the the planes of the nine hells it is uh it is crazy wild stuff and it's a ton of fun max dunbar is drawing it and he is one of the best in the industry we've worked together on a bunch of different projects we did some champions together we did um the first D miniseries legends of Baldur's gate back in 2014 we did a creator-owned book at comiXology called stone star 
And honestly and truly, Infernal Tides, this new D&D miniseries he's doing, is the best artwork of his career so far. It is. Every page is mind-blowing. I get that giddy feeling like when I was a kid and Arthur Adams would do one of the X-Men annuals. It's that level of like beautiful, delicate, detailed, intricate, action-packed artwork. Um, it's it's mind-blowing. I write the stuff, and I'm opening my inbox, and it feels like a gift every time I open up one of these pages. Um, everyone on the team is busting their hump, doing beautiful, beautiful work. Uh, Sebastian, our colorist, is pouring his all into it. Uh, this is the best damn looking fantasy book on the shelves, and it's going to be competing with my other fantasy book that's going to look amazing, <laughs> the Conan the Barbarian and Serpent War. Like, I feel I've got such incredible teams that I'm working with right now. I feel very uh, fortunate, really blessed to be on these projects and working with some of my absolute favorite stuff and, and seeing it come to life this way. So uh, if you're not reading the D&D comic series, you don't have to have read the previous ones to dive in on this one, but if you want to, they're all back out there. We did a, um, the first one's called Legends of Baldur's Gate. The second one is Shadow of the Vampire. Mm-hmm. Third one is Frost Giant's Fury, Evil at Baldur's Gate, and now Infernal Tides. And all of them are a really good rollicking time. They're big, classic sword and sorcery action. Um, and it's just an absolute blast to work on. So, like, having kind of D&D here and then Conan the Barbarian, like, Literally two of the biggest franchises in fantasy. Um, I could not be happier. 2020 is like a real banner year. So. You're, you're living the yeah. dream, and I'm happy for you. G- Thanks, man. G- Canadian guy makes good, eh? And it makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's pretty surreal, honestly. Uh, when I step back and I think about it, or when I'm talking to friends and family who aren't necessarily plugged into comics, and I realize how insane it all sounds, uh yeah yeah i definitely have had a lot of moments where i'm very very thankful that's for sure well i'm thankful that you were able to join us on this show so thank you and uh, for everyone listening be sure to like comment subscribe etc etc go go follow jim on twitter if you don't already that's uh what's what's your handle it's just at jim zub so j-i-m uh, for the American Z-U-B, right? Uh, so, that's so, right? So check that out and go go buy some of this man's comics. You'll have multiple chances, too, because he's got a lot of great content coming out this year and beyond. So until then, everyone, this has been Cape Joel. A thank you and a goodbye.